are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review of Kansas with Hot Topic Sounds Off coming up at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, uh, Sal Segala will be joining me tonight, uh, but it might be uh, a little bit later. So I'm going to kind of make sure I cover at least this first half hour and then uh, as soon as Sal comes on board, we'll bring him into the queue. Uh, let me go ahead and tell everybody uh, what our agenda is for tonight. Uh, this is the Kansas Race Review. A lot of three races at Kansas Speedway this weekend, starting with the Arkham Menard Series season finale at Kansas Speedway. Uh, we are going to cover that in the first 10 minutes of tonight's show. And then at 840, we're going to have Nick Sanchez uh, come on board. He won the race at Kansas Speedway this week, his very first Arkham Menard Series victory. And uh, Ty Gibbs took the uh, title. But uh, really excited for Nick Sanchez getting that win for Rev Racing. He's part of the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program. And uh, really excited to talk with him tonight about that first victory. Uh, then we're going to uh, actually uh, change this up just a little bit. Uh, when we get done talking with Nick Sanchez, we're going to do the review of the NASCAR and Xfinity Series race at Kansas. And then at uh, uh, 930, we have another guest joining us, and that's going to be Kyle Keller. Kyle Keller will come on board at 930 p.m. Eastern Time. He is a two-time late model champion at Madera Speedway, and we're going to talk to him about that during the 9.30 half hour. Uh, about 10 to the top of the hour, uh, just before our Hot Topic sound off, uh, we're going to use that last 10 minutes to give you a few updates from the Truck Series and uh, maybe even the Arkham Menard Series uh, West. They still have one more race for their season finale coming up at Phoenix. So we'll talk about that during that half hour. So don't uh, pay attention to what's up there uh, on the uh, on the uh, page uh, for Blog Talk Radio because uh, it, that has changed. And I thought I updated it earlier today, but it doesn't look like it is. So uh, anyway, 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And tonight we do have uh, Jay Huseman and Tommy Kraft is back uh, to cover our hot topics here for tonight. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard series. Uh, again, uh, we're going to set this up when we talk to Nick Sanchez because I want to get his thoughts during these uh, last few laps. Uh, what happened on Saturday night is a 20-year-old Nick Sanchez, part of Rev Racing in the Driver Diversity Program, hailing from Miami, Florida, uh, won that season finale for his very first victory. About six laps before the finish of the race, there was a caution setting up a green-white checkered overtime finish and uh, Sanchez was starting in third place while uh, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs were kind of battling it out for that top spot. Uh, Nick Sanchez was able to go underneath both of those cars while entering turn one 
of the next to the last lap, and he was able to hold off Gibbs on the last lap in order to take the checkered flag. It was his 22nd Arkham Menard Series start dating back to last season and his very first victory. So uh, a big night for Nick Sanchez. Uh, he's the sixth different Arkham Menard Series winner this season, and uh, he made the jump to uh, full-body stock cars after winning the Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award in 2019 as the most outstanding minority driver in the NASCAR's uh, weekly touring series, the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. So uh, you might recall as well that both Nick Sanchez and Raja Carruth uh, teammates at Rev Racing have announced plans to race part-time schedules in the NASCAR Xfinity Series next season, uh, and they're also going to be competing full-time in the Arkham Menard Series, racing for the championship. So we will definitely talk to Nick Sanchez about that as well. But while Nick was celebrating in victory lane, uh, Ty Gibbs, uh, who also won the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship and the CGS Imaging Four Crown, uh, was preparing to uh, celebrate his victory as the season um, uh, champion for the Arkham Menard Series. So uh, it was a big year for Ty Gibbs. He had 10 wins, uh, and that places him all-time in the series. Uh, with the wins championship leader Frank Kimmel for the third most victories in a single Arkham and Art Series season during the modern era. Only Tim Steele, who had 10, 12 wins in 1997 and 11 wins in 1996, has won more in a single year. So uh, big, big uh, race for both Ty Gibbs and for Nick Sanchez. Um, it's also has been just an amazing year uh, for Ty Gibbs and for Corey Heim. Corey Heim uh, has had an amazing year. Uh, it's just that his amazing year came during the same year as Ty Gibbs had an amazing year. Uh, he was able to take the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge which is comprised of Arkham and Art Series uh, schedules at paved ovals greater than 1.5 miles in length. So uh, it's really contested among the car owners rather than the drivers. So a team using multiple drivers has the same chance of winning as a team with a single, single full-time driver. So those events include Daytona International Speedway, Talladega Super Speedway, Kansas, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Pocono, Michigan, and Saturday's finale at Kansas. So that was uh, taken by uh, Corey Heim. Now, Drew Dollar, uh, J.P. Bergeron finished fourth and fifth, respectively, at Kansas for the top five drivers, Chris Wright, Kyle Sieg, Dean Thompson, Raja Carruth, teammate to uh, Nick Sanchez, and Parker Chase, all round out the 10 drivers. So, uh, uh, again, a very big night for uh, the Arkham Menard Series, uh, their season finale. And just to give you the final uh, rundown here for the points, um, Ty Gibbs was the leader 
that's why he was the champion. He is the champion uh, for 2021 in the Arkham Menard Series. He has uh, 35 points ahead of Corey Heim, who is in second place. Nick Sanchez comes home in third place. Then it was uh, Thad Moffat. Uh, Brad Smith rounding out the top five, and it should be noted, only two drivers ran all 20 races, and that's Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim. Nick Sanchez ran 18 of the 20 races, uh, Thad Moffat 16 of those 20 races, and Brad Smith 19 of the 20 races. The next uh, five drivers, Drew Dollar, Taylor Gray, D.L. Wilson, Kyle Sieg, and Jesse Love, also part-time uh, ranging from 10 to 14 races uh, between those five drivers. So uh, uh, really only two drivers running all 20 of the Arkham Menard Series races this season. Uh, now joining us here shortly will be Nick Sanchez. Uh, and in fact, there he is right now. Uh, I'm going to bring him into the queue. And first of all, Nick, I want to say congratulations to you. How exciting was it uh, to get that victory at Kansas, the season finale, and you get your first victory in the Arkham Menard Series after 22 starts? Yeah, you know, uh, it was everything. You know, I think it happened in pretty dramatic fashion. You know, personally, I don't think me and my team saw it go, uh, coming. I feel like, I feel like really, you know, at the moment we were shooting for second or third, and then, you know, restarts you know they bring opportunities for uh you know it could go your way and it also also could not and you know we just you know we made the right moves um you know my spotter uh made the right calls and uh, we were able to come away with a win okay well let's set this up okay uh because six laps to go there's a caution that sets up the last and final restart uh green white checkered overtime uh, for the Arkham Menard Series in their season finale. In the lead are Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim on the front row. You're starting in third place. And uh, the, green, the, the green flag waves. Uh, these guys are battling for a position for that top spot. Uh, and just tell us some of the thoughts that were going through your mind as this kind of unfolded in those last laps. Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I thought, you know, I was racing Corey. I feel like, you know, once we were on uh, older tires, we kind of evened out. Um, uh, but, you know, there really wasn't much time to think. You know, I got a I timed the start luckily pretty well. Um, I got to Corey's left rear, side drafted him. And, you know, once uh, once I was clear um, of both uh, Ty and Corey in the middle of one and two, you know, I, I felt pretty good about it. And then, you know, pr- from that point on, I was trying to block the air off the 18. Um yeah, you know, it was, you know, when I crossed the, when I crossed the, <laughs> when I got the checkered flag, I still couldn't believe it. Like, there was kind of no words, um, but it, it all went by in a blur. Yeah, you beat two of the best drivers in the Arca Menard series, Nick Sanchez. That had to be kind of a, a really good feeling to know that you were able to do that. Yeah, you know, they both have a lot of wins. Um, you know, when I look at them, I, I I see more resources than us. And uh, I think, you know, by the middle parts of the year, we, we started to even out with Corey. I mean, you know, we just had bad luck, and I think that's where we lost him in points a little bit. Um, but, you know, Ty's been in a league of his own. You know, even since the beginning of the year, he hasn't had the best of luck. 
Um, that's probably why he was in a points battle with a 20. But, you know, to beat him, especially after him winning uh, the Kansas Xfinity race, um, you know, I know we didn't beat him off sheer speed. You know, we we just made the right moves in the restart. Um, but a win's a win, and, you know, to go against him on a day like that, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, it showed a lot uh, for me and my team. Okay. Now, Nick, you're part of uh, Rev Racing and part of the uh, Drive for Diversity program. And uh, Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim have been the two drivers all season long in this Arkham Menard series. And I know you raced in the Arca East as well. Uh, but just talk about, uh, first of all, how challenging is it to race against those two drivers this season? And number two, was there anything that you learned from them throughout the season that maybe helped you get that victory at Kansas Speedway? Yeah, you know, obviously they're two very good drivers, um, you know, and they perform at the top level. Um, so I feel like, you know, it made me bring my best uh, game to the track whenever I showed up. Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I learned anything from them. You know, um, I keep quiet to myself and, you know, I pick and choose, you know, what I want to take in as info. Um, but, you know, I think I learned how to beat them um, and, you know, learned, uh, learned what they did differently that I could capitalize on. And, you know, uh, I definitely use that in Kansas, you know, especially passing Corey. Um, you know, on that long run, you know, little bits and pieces that you learn um, from their driving styles throughout uh, the course of the year that you could, you know, use against them. And I feel like, you know, that's what we did a little bit of. Um, but no, yeah, uh, really elevated my game, uh, you know, my race craft racing with them this year. Okay. Well, joining in, joining me now is our co-host for tonight, Sal Segala. First of all, Sal, I want to say welcome to you. Okay, I think Sal is with us. Yeah, okay, I was I'm not right hearing. Out her can you hear oh, me now? okay. Yeah, I can hear yeah, you I now. Yeah, I get all hooked up. Okay. Oh, you know, okay. I right out her boat. But I, I, but I know we only have Nick for for a short time, so <clears throat> I just, just yeah. get started with the. With oh, the okay. First of all, so Nick, I, I didn't know if you had any. You have some questions for Nick, Sal? Yeah, yeah, I have a couple. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a. It was a it was an interesting win, and especially against a driver like like Ty Gibbs, it just doesn't. I mean, you just you just don't beat him, especially on these on these mile and a half tracks like like this. And um, you know, it's just I mean, first of all, congratulations on the win. Let me let me congratulate you on the win first. I appreciate it. So, running, I don't know what Sharon's asked, so I'm, I'm going to try and ad lib what maybe what Sharon didn't ask. I kind of. That's all I know. But what was it like to to, to steal a win? Well, actually not steal it, to actually race for the win and and take it from Ty Gibbs. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like this year, you know, we've had a lot. Uh, we've had a lot of opportunities to win, um, not by the fastest car, but like opportunities like this. You know, you go back Michigan, Charlotte, uh, Winchester. But we've, you know, we've had really unfortunate incidents, you know, whether it be uh, a tire going down, uh you know, a wreck that's out of our hands or something like, you know, the power steering uh, going out. And I feel like, you know, Kansas, it was almost that same position. It was almost like, you know, what could go wrong this time? Um, But nothing went wrong. And, you know, I think that's why you saw us do what we do, you know. Um, You know, we've been in position many times this year, but it just hasn't worked our way. And, you know, you saw Kansas, you know, it did work our way. So I I feel like, you know, kind of a change of fortune um, and all that stuff, but uh, it feels really good, you know, especially for my guys. You know, they work so hard. Um, they work, work so hard to make the cars uh, as fast as they are. 
um, and they all deserve it. You know, and actually racing for Rev Racing, we, we've had a lot of the, you know, different drivers who have gone to the program all the way back to, gosh, I mean, we go all the way back to, I think, Daryl Wallace and, you know, um, uh, Sergio Pena and, you know, Ryan Vargas and all them. What's it like running for um, for Max Siegel and the, and, the, and the gang over there? Yeah, you know, obviously it's an honor, you know, they have a very deep pedigree uh, as far as diversity in the sport. Um, and they've produced a lot of really good drivers. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, this, this year is different, you know. Uh, they've never been on the stage they've been, you know, in the ARCA series, you know, you're racing at all the marquee events. Um, and like I always tell people, you know, the tracks that matter in uh, a driver's career, like uh, Kansas, you know, just the big tracks, you know, that consists, uh, you see uh, most of the cup schedule consists of. Um, and, you know, this was their biggest win to date um, as far as, you know, uh, the length of the track. Um, and, you know, when you step up to an, a mile and a half, you know, you, you tackle a different challenge. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're, unloaded, uh, you're unloaded with uh, so many more, um, you know, technical challenges and, you know, for the driver too. So for, you know, this, for this young team, I guess you could call it, uh, to, per, you know, perform the way they did on the big tracks, um, you know, it's a testament to what Max uh, builds back at the shop and, you know, uh, you know, just the way he does things. And, you know, uh, we definitely would not be nearly as competitive as we would have uh, without his support, you know, without uh, his, you know, constant support throughout the year and trying to improve the way we run. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a testament to what he does. You know, and, it, and it's and – it's, <clears throat> I like one of the words you used, which was, you know, a young team because – you know, as everybody knows that the Drive for Diversity program, you know what, every year, you know, they have, you get new candidates out there, you know, and nobody really knows who's going to be called back. Nobody knows, you know, who's going to, you know, you know, how many years you're going to run with them. You know, it's a, it's a year to year thing, you know what, and, and, um, and gosh, just, I mean, to think of, you know, to, to grab a win, especially at Kansas and, and against, you know, against, um, you know, Ty Gibbs, you know, who's been hot. You know, it just it, it shows the talent that you have as a driver, as Nick Sanchez has as a driver, you know, to be able, able to go out there and get the job done, you know, without, you know, blowing it on the last, you know, on the last restart, you know, and, and getting out there, you know, and doing what you had to do to get the win. No, I appreciate it, and uh, thank you. And with that, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say congratulations again. i got to get my, myself all together here. I just... I just got back from a five-hour trip, so I want to turn it back over to Sharon. Okay, Nick, um, I want to get into an announcement that you guys made. Uh, You guys, I mean yourself and Roger Carruth, your teammates there at Rev Racing, about racing part-time in the Xfinity Series for next season, as well as running a full-time season in the Arkham Art Series and contending for that championship next year. Uh, talk about how that came about. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it, you know, it's been something that I've been working on before this season started, you know, obviously, you know, the next step in my career, and, you know, I've worked uh, really, <laughs> worked endlessly and really hard on it, but, you know, it's nice to finally see it come together. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really excited to be running for uh, for BJ next year in the Xfinity Series. You know, I look at that team, you know, um, as another up and coming team, and you know, I, I feel like their their performance strides are going to be big. Um, and you know, I'm I'm really happy uh, to be a part of their growth for next year, and you know, hopefully the future. Absolutely, BJ McLeod, he's really uh, done a great job. 
developing his organization. And uh, a lot of people see that as kind of a developmental team uh, to help you take that next step in your career. And uh, have you thought about, uh, did you weigh the pros and cons over the truck series and the Xfinity series? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, uh, from a brand standpoint, and you know, a sponsorship perspective, Xfinity Series is a no-brainer. Um, you know, the truck series, you know, they have a lot of great competitors, and uh, it is really a good series. But, you know, from that standpoint, you just get a lot more out of it in the Xfinity Series. And I feel like, um, you know, the longer races and just the Xfinity car package in general, um, you know, people uh, people praise it as the best uh, racing in NASCAR, and, you know, they're, they're not wrong. Um, you know, the way it races, you know, the durability of the car. Um, you just don't see that with the trucks, and that was uh, obviously another deciding factor. Okay, another driver, and I think I've asked you this question before, Nick, but I'm going to ask it again in case there's somebody listening tonight that uh, didn't hear our interview from before. But uh, Daniel Suarez has come up through the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program and Rev Racing. Have you had a chance to talk with him about his progression up that NASCAR ladder? Um, no, you know, I've never, I've never talked to him one-on-one about it. Um, obviously, I know his story. Um, you know, I was really good friends with Ruben Garcia. That was a mutual friends with him. Um, but no, I've never oh, yeah. talked to him uh, one-on-one. Oh, okay. That would be great to, to have that opportunity, I'm sure. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're just so proud of you. Uh, there at uh, Rev Racing and the and what you're doing in the Drive for Diversity program. This is not your first season with Rev Racing. You've you've been with them for a few years now, and so uh, I'm glad to see that you're going to be back in the Arkham Knight Series because I think you're going to be a title contender next year. Um, but I'm also happy to see you racing part time in the Arkham in the uh, Xfinity Series with BJ McLeod next year. Um, uh, talk a little bit about racing for that championship next year with Rev Racing and the Drive for Diversity program and what they do to support you in that endeavor. Yeah, you know, I think we'll have a, I think we'll have a pretty good shot. You know, it's what I've learned from this year. It's all about, you know, minimizing mistakes and uh, minimizing uh, bad things out of your control. Um, you know, we've had a lot of those this year. Um, but yeah, you know, I think my team is going to get a lot stronger from this win and, you know, from, Everything we've learned this year, and you know, I hope to, I hope to put it all together a little better next year and try to contend for a championship. All right, now Nick, we know the driver is the guy out front, the guy who drives the car, but there's a lot of people behind you, behind the scenes. I'm going to give you a moment here to kind of recognize some of those folks behind the scenes uh, that have helped bring Nick Sanchez to where he is today. Yeah, you know, obviously, Reverie's team owner Max Siegel and, you know, everyone from NASCAR and the NASCAR Draft for Diversity um, that makes this program possible. Um, you know, my parents have obviously played a big role in what I do. Um, you know, those are the those are the biggest people I want to thank. Um, yeah, you know, obviously without those people, I would not be here. Okay. Uh, and uh, are you going to have the same team next year in the Arkham Menard Series? Um, yeah, you know, obviously little things here and there change, but we're going to have the same group of guys and, uh, you know, hopefully add on a little more to our team, create some more depth. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to look forward to watching you next season 
And uh, again, congratulations to you on your victory. Uh, I think it's the first of many. The hardest one to get is that first one. Uh, So hopefully you can carry that momentum into next season. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure, Nick Sanchez. And uh, we look forward to uh, perhaps talking with you again sometime next season. Awesome. Same here. Thank you. Okay, take care now. Okay, folks, that was Nick Sanchez. He was the winner of the Arkham and Art Series season finale at Kansas Speedway uh, this past weekend. And what a finish it was. Uh, six laps to go. They get a caution. Uh, they've got the green-white checkered flag. Uh, and the two leaders, Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim, fighting for position and Nick Sanchez just drops below both of them and takes that lead. How exciting is that, Sal? Oh, yeah, you ain't going to get it no more exciting than that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> both all the drivers looking around, you know, probably thinking, where did, where did he come from? But, um, you know, that's how the, you know, that that's how it, um, that's how it works out. Absolutely, absolutely. And I liked what Nick said there because uh, I think this was before you came on. Yeah, I, I asked him the question of what did he learn uh, from racing with Corey Heim and uh, Ty Gibson. He said he didn't learn so much about uh, too much from them personally, but he said that what happened uh, from watching them race, but what he learned from watching them race is how to beat them. And that's exactly what he did. He said, uh, you know, well, you did hear this. There were a lot of things that went wrong uh, before he, he got to the point that everything went right. And uh, so, you know, that was, I thought, a great insight uh, on Nick Sanchez. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, um, you know what, and, and when you talk to, uh, uh, let me see. This is our um, this is our six thirty calling. He's just confirming. All right. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know what? And and when you talk to a lot of drivers, you know, like around you know the short tracks, you know, a lot of them will say, you know, they'll 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 do their practice. You know, like when, say for example, like when Derek Thorne goes out, you know, drivers will try to do their practice to get in behind him, you know, to see what line he runs, you know, see how he goes around the track, you know, see what makes him fast. You know, and a lot of drivers, you know, they'll look to that, you know, especially, you know, the more seasoned drivers, you know, if they're a little bit younger, you know, coming up. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to uh, our review of the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Kansas Speedway. Uh, But before we do that, I just want to let you know their next race is the Dead On Tools 250 at Martinsville Speedway on Saturday, October the 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, So that race will be on NBC Sports Network as well as MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Uh, But now we we really want to talk about uh, the race that took place this past Saturday at Kansas Speedway. Ty Gibbs overcomes a speeding penalty to win the Xfinity Series race at Kansas for his 11th victory of 2021 for the number 54 car. Now, Ty Gibbs continued his phenomenal NASCAR Xfinity Series rookie season on Saturday 
uh, with his fourth victory of the year in the Kansas Lottery 300 at Kansas Speedway. Now, he had that speeding penalty on pit road earlier in the race, but he rebounded to take the lead with just 10 laps to go in route to the victory in the Xfinity Series race. It's Gibbs' fourth win in 17 starts. That's incredible. The number 22 of Austin Sindrick finished second. He held off A.J. Allmendinger, who had fresher tires late in the race. Justin Haley salvaged a fourth-place finish after spending much of the afternoon outside the top ten. Then it was Ryan Sieg rounding out the top five, earning his first top ten finish since Talladega in April. Brett Moffat put on fresh tires late to finish sixth. Meanwhile, Michael Lynette, Sam Mayer, Justin Algauer, and Maya Snyder made up the rest of the top 10 drivers. Playoff drivers Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton were caught up in a three-car wreck with 20 laps to go, uh, which started when Mayer tagged the left rear corner panel of Burton. Almondinger won the opening stage, while Sendrick earned 10 points by winning the second stage, and each driver will have 11 stage wins on the season. There were 19 lead changes among six drivers and 10 cautions for 46 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 112.641 miles per hour. Ty Gibbs won the 21st annual Kansas Lottery 300 for his fourth victory in 18 races, his fourth victory in 10th top 10 finish in 2021 and his first victory and first top 10 finish in his only race at Kansas Speedway. Austin Sendrick posted his second top 10 finish in six races at Kansas and it's his 24th top 10 finish this season. AJ Allmendinger posted his first top 10 finish in three races at Kansas while Ty Gibbs was the highest finishing rookie of the race as the leader so we'll go over the points here in just a minute but before we do that i want to get your thoughts sal about these uh, race results are we still here sal yeah i'm here i had to put on silent while you guys were finishing up okay. the last um <clears throat> yeah you know Ty okay. gives amazing 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 win and you know it's um <laughs> You know, after he almost he almost swept his um his Kansas weekend. I know he hasn't even he hasn't raced the whole season. He's only raced a few races this entire season and has four victories in this in the series uh, as a rookie. It's it's just phenomenal. It is, you know, and and the thing is, is you know, you can't take nothing away from the kid. He works hard. Sure, he's got good equipment, but this so do. We can go to, um, uh, you know, a bunch of other drivers, you know, who've, who've had the same, uh, you know, the same opportunity, the same equipment, you know, but it's just he, he just, um, you know, he took well, advantage of what he's had, you know, and, and he's worked hard. I mean, you know, nobody, yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of hard to say because nobody really knows how hard he works away from the track, you know. You know, there's, yeah, there's not true. that. You know, but just like Nick Sanchez, Ty Gibbs beat Austin Cedric and A.J. Allmendinger, two of the best in the Xfinity Series. 
Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, just, it's a testament, you know, to like, like I said, we don't know how hard the kid is working. Obviously he's working very hard, probably on the simulator, you know, on the, on, you know, doing a lot of sim racing and mm-hmm. watching a lot of film and probably talking a lot to, you know, Danny, Kyle and, um, you know, and Martin, you know, about, you know, how yeah. to, you know, get around tracks, how to race. I mean, it's, it's just the, the kid is, uh, it's, it's phenomenal what he's doing. The amount of wins he really he's is. picked up to all the to everything he's raced this year. Ten wins in the Arkham you know, and just, Art series, four wins in the Arca series. That's fourteen wins right there. Yeah, I mean it's it's just Okay. We mentioned Harrison Burton and Noah Gregson uh got caught up in an incident with uh Sam Mayer. They ended up finishing in thirty fourth and thirty fifth place due to the accident. Mason Massey and Jade Buford also ended up in accidents. Uh, They finished 37th and 38th. Uh, Also, Greg Alding had an engine issue, giving him a 39th place finish, and Joy Gase an electrical issue, uh, causing him to finish uh, in uh, last place. Uh, The margin of victory was .759 seconds uh, for these guys. Uh, and then let's see. All the Daniel Hamrick ended up with a fifteenth place finish. Brandon Jones finished in eleventh, uh, but all the other play four playoff players uh, finished in that top ten, uh, including Austin Cindric, Almondinger, and Justin Haley finishing second, third, and fourth. And then Justin Algauer finishing in ninth place. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points here for these guys. Do you have the points up? Yeah, I'm right here. We got driver points. Okay. Do do we have driver points? Okay. So far we got yeah. Austin Austin Cedric still needing the points. AJ Almendinger um, in second. Justin Algauer in third. Daniel Hemrick in fourth. And below the cut line right now is Justin Haley, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, and um, Harrison Burton all below the cut line with with one race to go. And um, we're at uh, Martinsville. Is it Martinsville this weekend? Yes, Martinsville is this weekend, and that's yeah, the elimination yeah, that's, race. And yeah, this elimination race this week. So um, Noah's he's Noah's. Basically, just, Justin has a, has a shot, him and Daniel Hemrick, but then when you go down to Noah, Brandon, Harrison, they're, they're all in must-win situations if they're going to make the playoffs. But Austin Sendrick and J.J. Allmendinger, they're just a point apart. They're really in a virtual tie at 31-39 yeah. points each. Uh, Justin Algauer's at 31-01 uh, bad points. And Daniel Hemrick at thirty uh, ninety nine, so he's forty points back, while Justin Algauer is thirty eight points back. Um, and then going below that cut line, just seven points uh, behind Daniel Hemrick is Justin Haley, and another ten points behind him is Noah Gregson. So yeah, those four drivers are really going to be fighting for those last two spots, I think, for. Uh, uh, Phoenix Raceway, uh, and wow, what a place to fight for it at Martinsville, where everybody's yeah, comforting and banging be, already. 
Exactly. You know, it's going to be um, <laughs> it's going to be a really a really really good race. You know, you race fans don't want to miss <clears throat> don't want to miss this one. There's a lot up at stake. There is a lot at stake. Uh, again, that cut line. Uh, there's really about four drivers competing for two spots. And, you know, Brandon Jones or Harrison Burton could technically come up with a win at Martinsville and put themselves in, which would put, like, Daniel Hemrick below the line. That would just be such a shame, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, it would. It would it's it's going to be... It's going to be it's hard because you don't want to see... It'd be nice to see all of them go there, but the, only four drivers can be in the final four. Yeah, and um, you know, it's 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 kind of ironic that that here we have, like, with the exception of Brandon Jones and Harrison Burton, but Daniel Hamrick is looking to possibly make the playoffs with with zero wins. Yes. Yes. That's true. Wouldn't that be something if, been, if he won the championship with zero wins? He, he gets his so he gets his first ever he yeah he gets his first ever um, Xfinity Series win at Phoenix for the championship. Boy, wouldn't that be a story? Is that, is that your prediction? No, Shall? that's not my prediction. <laughs> nah, I'm just saying okay. that would be something. I think my I think my something. prediction would have to. Oh yeah, it would I think my prediction would be AJ Allmendinger for the championship this year. Ah, okay. Uh, AJ Allmendinger has certainly put on a uh, show here, especially in the second part of this season and during the playoffs. He's been super strong. So yeah, it's hard to you know either one of those guys I think could do it, Austin Sindrick or AJ Allmendinger. But, uh, yeah, you got to kind of give it to it, – it, it's kind of up for grabs. Either one of them could do it. But since you said A.J., I'm going to say Austin Sindrick. Who, who's yeah, going to win at huh? Martinsville? I don't know. I – That that that's a that's a tough pick. I I man. We know somebody's if, gonna if, leave happy and we know somebody else is gonna leave not so happy. I mean if if, if Ty Gibbs is on the is on the is one of the ones running, you almost have to go at Ty. He's just he's just that kind okay, of a driver. Well, but I but I would have to put it on, on AJ too, 'cause I I, I I think AJ is really gonna is really gonna go out there to make a to make a statement, you know, you know, and 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 roll with a lot of momentum into going to Phoenix. Okay, well, Josh Berry, I know is going to be in the thirty-one. Natalie Decker in the twenty-three. Uh, just to mention some of that, yeah, Ty Gibbs is going to be in the number fifty-four, so he is going to be in that race. Uh, yeah, I figured he would be. Um, uh, Akinori Ogata is going to be in that 178 and Ryan Ellis is going to be driving the 199 this weekend for BJ McLeod Motorsports so 
Yeah, that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, but uh, this is a short track racing. I know one driver, um, there's several drivers that are very good at short track racing. I'm going to say Justin Algauer pulls off a victory. And, and who's going to get Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the Year? Uh, that's a good question. You almost got to go with Ty Gibbs. If you know what, if he qualifies for Rookie of the Year, um, if not, then it'll be Jay, Jay Buford because he's got 30 starts. He's only okay. one start, you know, away, away from, from doing the whole season. And I'm thinking that yeah. updating that Ty Gibbs race for points, I don't, I don't think he would be eligible for, um, I don't think he'd be eligible for Rookie of the Year. Oh, okay. Because other than that, possible. it's... Um, other than that, it's Ryan Vargas with 27 starts, but Ryan Vargas is so far, so far down from, uh, you know, he's like 200 well, something points down. So that's yeah, not going to it's going to be, it's definitely going to be fun to watch uh, when we go to Martinsville next weekend. Now let's go ahead and move on to the uh, Cup Series. Uh, their next race is also at Martinsville, the Xfinity 500. Uh, 2 o'clock p.m. Sunday, October the 31st, and uh, they will that race will be carried on NBC. No practice or qualifying, uh, but again, we want to we want to cover the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway last Sunday, October the 24th. Uh, Larson continues his domination in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, uh, getting his third straight win at Kansas. He did heavy lifting on Sunday, leading nine different times for a race-high 130 laps, ultimately crossing the line, finish line a hefty 3.619 seconds ahead of the field to earn the NASCAR Cup Series best, uh, Series best ninth win of the season and the 15th of his career in the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. It's his third consecutive win. Uh, for the 29-year-old Californian, and the second time this season that he's won three in a row. The last time a driver won three straight races uh, twice in a season was in 1987 when the late seven-time champion Dale Earnhardt accomplished the feat. So that's a pretty pretty, uh, big uh, record to break. Cal Larson won the race at Kansas Speedway for his ninth win of the year, the first win at Kansas in the 15th of his career. Elliott finished in second, followed by Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, I'm sorry, Kurt Busch, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, Joey Logano, and Ty, I'm sorry, Austin Dillon. Larson started from the pole. He led 130 of 267 laps pulling away for the margin of victory of more than three seconds. The several playoff drivers had trouble during the race, including Keselowski. He had a flat tire early and lost a couple of laps. He could only get back to 17th at the finish. Kyle Busch had flat tires and made contact with the outside wall. He finished 28th, six laps down. Uh, Blaney uh, wrecked with 44 laps left, and he could not continue. He ended up finishing in 37th place. Stage one was won by Kyle Larson. Stage two was won by William Byron. 
There were 23 lead changes among eight drivers and seven cautions for 33 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 130.728 miles per hour. Kyle Larson won the 21st annual Hollywood Casino 400. Again, his 15th victory in 258 Cup Series races. It's his ninth victory and 25th top 10 finish this year. This is the first victory and sixth top 10 finish in 15 races at Kansas. Chase Elliott posted his eighth top 10 finish in 13 races at Kansas and his 20th top 10 finish this year. Kevin Harvick posting his 19th top 10 finish in 33 races at Kansas Speedway. Chase Bristol, who finished 19th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Your thoughts about the race results, Sal? Yeah, it's, it, man, that Kyle is really, uh, he's, he's really been an amazing driver this year. Um, you know, if he doesn't win the championship, you know what, he needs to kick himself in the back of the head. <laughs> because he's just, he is I mean, on a I know he's on a, he's on a tear right now. I mean, he's got the momentum. <clears throat> he's got the momentum going, you know, into the, uh, you know, into the last two races, you know, which will be Martinsville and, um, and, uh, and he's been really strong at the, at the mile and a half track. Let's see how he does at the mile track, which, which will be Phoenix. But, um, and then Chase Elliott, man, Chase, Chase gave it all he had. I mean, hitting the wall, hitting the wall, hitting the wall, did all he could to try and get that to catch up to his teammate. But, um, Chase showed a lot of heart, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, Kevin right behind him, you know, and, and, you know, all that, Elliot Harvick stuff is already it's done with. You know, I don't care mm-hmm. what the fans, you know, they wanted to try and make a big old thing about it. <clears throat> you know, Kevin made his point, Chase made his point, you know what, and, and Kevin is so much of a professional, he's not gonna try and knock him out of a chance to win a championship. You know, that's just not how Kevin you know, how Harvick rolls, you know. If Chase is gonna knock himself out of a champion, it's gonna be because he does it on his own, not because Kevin goes and puts him into the wall. These guys are professionals, you know, and there's repercussions for stuff like that, you know. And um, but um, gosh, I was just so dis- disappointed in um, in uh, Brad and uh, and Kyle. I really thought Kyle was going to have a really good race. I thought Brad would have a a strong finish, you know, especially you know going into uh, you know going into team ownership next year, you know, with uh, you know mm-hmm. with, with uh, Jack Roush. But yes. Um, you know, it's not to be. Well, we'll we'll see what the rest of the story is here. Uh, I will say we mentioned Ryan Blaney having an accident uh, that also involved uh, Anthony Alfredo. Both of them were out on accidents. Justin Haley uh, had an engine issue that caused him to finish in 39th place, and Chad Fincham had handling issues causing him to finish in 40th place. So, uh, again, uh, a really big race, uh, again, for Kyle Larson, uh, led in a commanding way, just dominant during these uh, playoffs, uh, and dominant in this race at uh, Kansas Speedway as well. Uh, I can't wait till we get to Martinsville next weekend. I think it's going to be exciting racing. Uh, Let's cover the points, though, here for the uh, Cup Series. Okay, the points in the Cup Series is uh, we got Kyle Larson, 
um, leading the point still. Um, Chase Elliott now in second. Danny Hamlin in third. Um, Kyle Busch is still holding out of that fourth spot. Uh, Ryan Blaney fifth. Mark Truex sixth. Brad Kozlowski seventh. And eighth is um, uh, Joey Logano. Yes. It's it's amazing. Uh, Kyle Larson has a 74-point lead over second-place Chase Elliott. Uh, Denny Hamlin's just two points behind uh, Chase Elliott. Uh, and then Kyle Busch in that fourth spot. At, and he's 107 points back. But just one point behind him, below the cut line, is Ryan Blaney. <laughs> uh, two points between Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex. Three points between Martin Truex and Brad Kozlowski, uh, and then uh, 30 points uh, between Brad Kozlowski and Joy Logano. So Joy Logano's got the biggest hole there to climb out of. He's he's in a must-win situation at Martinsville. I was just going to say that Joey Logano's probably the only driver in a must-win situation because when you look at Larson's already in on the win, on mm-hmm. the win. You look Two at Chase wins. Elliott, Denny Hamlin. Uh, two wins, yeah. Um, then you look at Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Carl Bush, Ryan Blaney, Mark Truex Jr., and Brad Keselowski. There's only uh, well be- between Brad and between Brad and Chase. There's only a um, thirty a twenty nine twenty nine point difference. So Brad is, but see that that's between Chase. You got to go to the four spot where where Kyle Bush is. And he's only six points out of that fourth spot, out of the bubble. So you're looking at Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch. <clears throat> those are four drivers to watch because those are the mm-hmm. ones. And actually, yep. Chase too, because you know, I mean, Chase isn't <clears throat> Chase is above there, but you know, Chase has a DNF. You know, he's gonna he's he's gonna lose twenty something odd points, thirty points. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah, Chase could easily drop out of the. The, the only one that's the only one that's one hundred percent sure is Kyle Larson, because of his win. Yep, yep, that is so true. And you know, Martinsville, just being the type of track that it is, somebody's going to leave those that track very unhappy with the results. Uh, some, I, I've got a feeling we might see a scuffle or two uh, after this race because these guys all want to be in that uh, final four. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be um, uh, somebody's gonna be hurt. There's gonna be three yeah. drivers, well, four. Joy Logano, because with Joy Logano don't win, I'm sure he, I'm sure he feels he has a shot at winning. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I mean, you know, he's gonna be one of them. Before. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he could he could steal the show and come up with the victory. And uh, put somebody else out. So anyway, I, I think it's going to be very intense. I think a lot of these drivers are either going to be trying so hard to take care of their car and not get in trouble, and other cars are going to be willing to take the risk and do whatever they have to do uh, to get that victory. So uh, that spells trouble uh, at Martinsville. Yeah, it does. It sure does. <laughs> So, any predictions? I would. 
I don't know. I I, I think it, it's hard to say. I mean, it, you you can look up and down the board. I'm not going to actually throw Kyle Larson, you know, for another win, even though it's very, very possible. But I'm going to look at maybe Kyle Busch, you know, putting that little – I mean, he already drives at 150%. But I'm mm-hmm. just going to look at him, you know, really, you know, really pushing it, you know, to, you know, to lock his spot in there. He doesn't want to be left out. None of them want to be left out. But um, That is the truth. You know, he, he's, he has to protect that, you know, that one-point lead he has over Ryan Blaney. So he's going to – you know, I I I think he's going to be doing what he has to do, you know, to make sure that he that uh, he gets in there. Okay, uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens next weekend. Uh, Jay and I will be uh, previewing the show coming up on uh, the top of the, you know, for this Thursday we'll be previewing the race at races at Martinsville Speedway. And that's our next to the last race. The final race is coming up at uh, Phoenix, and that will close the season out. We'll know who all of our champions are. Yeah, that is so true. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be uh, pretty fun and exciting uh, to see how this closes out uh, at Martinsville, and then again uh, the following week at uh, at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, they'll head to the West out there and, and run that season finale at Phoenix. Um, <clears throat> who's your prediction to win at Phoenix? You know, it's going to be hard at Phoenix. Um, so many drivers run, you know, run well there. Kevin Harvick is a, I think Kevin Harvick, I think has the most wins out of all the cup drivers. You know, and sometimes you got to look outside the, outside of, you know, who's in the, um, Outside of who's actually in the uh, in the um, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you could have a non-playoff driver win that race. So exactly. Yep. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, you know, you could be looking at possibly, you know, Kevin Harvick, you know, getting getting his win, you know, there at um, at Phoenix, you know, and not really so much being the spoiler because you know they're you know there's still four drivers you know, that are going to be going for the. Um, that are going to be going for the, uh, you know, for the championship. Okay. And uh, coming up, Sal, we have a guest coming on board, and I'm going to let you kind of tell us a little something about him. But uh, I'm also going to let you kind of carry that interview uh, while I prepare for Hot Topics, if you don't mind. Do you want to tell us a little something about uh, the guest coming up? Yeah. Our next guest is coming up at the 6.30 hours um, is Kyle Keller. He's uh, he's one of our locals out here in, in California, and uh, um, he's had a very, very exciting season this year. Um, had a very exciting race this past weekend at 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 uh, Kern 2, you know, to be able to, you know, jump in a, a super late race this track that, you know, everybody talks about. And, you know, and it's it, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy um, task you know, so to speak, um, you know, they, uh, you know, first they had to get out there, you know, in practice. And it, it seemed like they were, it seemed like they were struggling a little bit in practice, went up and qualified, but then um, ended up getting a, a fourth place win, you know, at the end of the night, you know, which, um, which on a, a track like, a track like uh, Kern, especially the SRL series with the talent, the, 
a mom and drivers they have, it's, um, you know, it's really something, you know, that you can really hold your head up high at. Um, not too many drivers have, have gotten finishes like that. And I'm talking about some, some really good, really good drivers, seasoned drivers, veteran drivers who struggle with this track, you know, Kyle went out there and handled it, you know, took care of business and, um, you know, brought his car home and, I was able to do all that, but before that, you know, he had a he had a really extraordinary season, <clears throat> winning a couple championships at Madeira, and um, you know, rode that like I said, you know, rode that momentum here into um, into uh, um, into Kern this past weekend with for the SRL Southwest Tour race. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So he he won the championship at Madeira. Uh, but he's also racing in the SRL. Is is that the season finale for SRL? So. Yes. Th- yeah. This Saturday was our was our was our last race of the season. So we we crowned okay. three champions. Yeah, we, we crowned three champions. Our we crowned our um, our uh, modified champion and then the pro late champion, pro late model champion. And then of course then we crowned our our uh, our uh, Southwest Tour our super late model champion this weekend. And who it were was, all uh, those guys? Um, Jeremy Doss ended up winning. Jeremy Doss won the won the modified race. Jeremy Doss also won the championship. Uh, Jeremy was running. Actually, he ran three cars this weekend, but he only um, he was only in the championship for two. And then in the in the SRL Southwest Pro Series Pro Late Model Series, Jeremy won the race and he also won the um, championship in that. And then in the uh, in the super lates, um, which are the big boys, that's where um, uh, Derek Thorne ended up winning the championship. Preston Peltier won the race, but when he went through Tech, he was overweight on the left side, so he got mm. DQ'd out of Tech. Yeah, and, and lost um, he lost the bounty that they had on Derek. Plus, he lost the the race win. So um, and, oh, that's you know, he had to give the trophy. Yeah, he had to give the trophy back, and then they, they gave it to Derek at the end of the night. So, so Derek ended up went picking up something like ten thousand five hundred bucks because he was also the half. He was also the leader at the half at the uh, at the halfway point. Okay. Of the race, so yeah, it was a. It was yeah. really a. It was really a. Yeah. A lot, lot of good racing this past weekend. Yeah, it sounds like it, and and I know. We have a lot of drivers that come on the show, and especially here recently, that have told us uh, that Derek Thorne has helped them uh, as a mentor uh, as they develop into uh, a racing career. And uh, I think our guest is no different. Uh, It's good to see uh, a champion like Derek Thorne doing that with all of these up-and-coming drivers and helping them find success as well. Yeah, it is, you know, because there's going to come a time, you know, that Derek's going to hang up his helmet, you know, and, you know, what's Derek going to do? All Derek knows is racing, you know, so, you know, helping out, you know, you know, kids, you know, up and dri- up and coming young drivers, you know, like, like Kyle, and then even um, uh, Jaden, who we've had on the show a couple of times, you know, mm-hmm. helping him out too, you know, and, you know, and, you know, to see, you know, where their, where their careers will take them. Um it, it's not an easy road nowadays. I've talked to a lot of drivers, and because of COVID, sponsorship is really hard to come by. And um, it's not like, you know, like, I mean, 
uh, I'm seeing three three cars so far after the after the championship race are not racing next year because of because of sponsorship. Okay. Well, your guest is here now, Sal. So go ahead and he's in the queue, and you can go ahead and introduce him and get started with the interview. All right. Our next guest is uh, Kyle Keller. He was uh, ended up uh, picking up the the Madeira, Madeira late late model non televised and the overall combined late model um, uh, championship this year out of, out here in Madeira, California. Um, he did it on, on two nut up wins, including uh, including the short track shootout, which I think paid like ten thousand bucks. And uh, he also had, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had like nine. He had nine nut up wins, um, eight eight race the Darren Nate models, and uh, gosh, Stephen gave me all the all the everything. Oh, and then he had a top five in a, in a wet in the west. In the West Car. I'm sorry, Kyle. I had a long drive out here. I'm barely getting on, and, and we just want to welcome you to the show. So, um, uh, welcome to the show, and congratulations on your fourth on your fourth place uh, finish this past Saturday. Thank you for having me. Okay, can you can you run down exactly what you did at Madeira this weekend? I mean, not this weekend, but before the whole series. I I I, I know you're the you you won the, the the two out of three championships, right? Yeah, I almost uh, I almost got all three. I lost the third one by twenty points. Wow. So what? Well, you I mean, you've been racing for for a while now. I mean, you know, it, it's not like you like you just got in a car, you know, a couple of years ago with the, with the junior late models. But I mean, you've been. You know, you've been around um, a long time to racing. Where, where did you get your start? Uh, I got my start in racing when I was around four or five in a go-kart, and then I just started to move up slowly into a late model. So how was, how was the transition from the go-kart to the late model, and at what age did you make that transition into the late model? Um, well, when I was around eight, I ran a Baron Delero, and then uh, about 10 years old, um, we got a call from Kenny Shepard to do the Junior Late Model Series at Madeira, and uh, that was my start into a late model, and then uh, slowly moved up into the Pro Late Models, and then ARCA, and then ran SRO at the Kern this weekend. Now, now, now let's go back to the Junior Late Models. That was a that was a program that basically Kenny Shepard started at at Madeira, and it was and it was to bring up drivers as yourself, you know, to teach you guys, you know, how to, you know, how, how to, you know, basically how to how to race, you know, with the with the bigger car other than the than the legends, the Bandoleros, you know, and and also you know along the way, you know, get the feel of what it's like to race or you know on a bigger track, and and then to have that camaraderie with with drivers your age. No, yeah, I was uh, I was the inaugural junior late model series, so all all us kids were around, you know, no older than fourteen, and um, we had no clue what to do, right? So, and the parents, it was pretty hard to try to help us kids because you know it was all our first time in a late model, and uh, it, the junior late model series is way better than it was, and uh, the times definitely picked up since I've raced, so. Um, I think that the season of the junior late models is uh progression is really, really good. You know, and, and, and your parents have been around since day one of your of your um 
you know, when you first started racing. Now, now, like I said, coming to the junior late models, who else was there besides your dad, you know, to help you set up the car, you know, and kind of help you, you know, with, you know, get the, you know, get the feel of the track, you know, kind of show you know where the racing lines are and stuff like that. Um, I think it was just, um, you know, we had Brian Kaiser, actually, he was, he was big help in the junior late models when I first started him and his son, uh, they were my crew chief. He was my crew chief this weekend and, uh, they, they were my crew this weekend at SRL, but they kind of got me started in late models in the junior late model series. And then, uh, they stepped away to do some, uh, you know, they worked at the racetrack and stuff like that, the boring. So they kind of stepped away from being a race team and they came back again. So, but, uh. The Kaisers were big help in my uh, junior late mall series. So, so making the transition from from you know the junior late models, you know into the into what they're calling now the pro late model series. How hard is it to make the transition? Because now you're talking about a car, you know that it, I'm sure it handles different. Plus, you have more horsepower. Yeah, I mean, you can do the open motor package or the crate motor package, but back in the, the Junior Late models, there I don't think there was such thing as a crate motor yet, so uh, it was all open motors, so we already had the, the feeling of what the horsepower is, and now it's pretty much the winning car is a crate motor, so uh, it definitely horsepower has went down since Junior Late models for me, um, but, I mean, the handling is really, really different. You know, there's no restrictor plate, so you definitely got to get on the gas. Uh, a little bit later, and uh, the the prolate models, the drivers are all under within two tenths since where the juniors are all over the place on time wise. Hmm. So what so what was it like running the series out there? And, and was that the only track that you ran? You know, once you came into prolates, was the only track you ran Madeira, or, or did you run any other tracks? Um, when I ran prolate models for the last couple of years, I ran Kern a couple of times. I think I finished third one time in the Pro Late model. Um, and then I ran Vegas and won Vegas a couple times in a Pro Late model. And uh, mainly Madeira. I think we did like 22 races this year at Madeira. So what's the biggest difference between the, the, the three tracks that you have run between um, uh, the Bullring, um, Kern, and, and Madeira? Um, Madeira is just more of a mo- momentum track. you got to make sure you don't mess up at all because, um, you know, if you mess up just a tiny bit, that they'll gain really close on you. But in Vegas, if you mess up a little bit, you still have a bigger track to try to, you know, regain the speed that you have. And if they're a little farther back, it's harder for them to catch you because Vegas is a pretty even racetrack. So running these three tracks, what did you take from each track, you know, to, you know, to run the next one, you know, say, you know, you know, since most of your racing was done at Madeira, let's let's go this let's go this route. What what did you take from from Kern, and what did you take from uh, from the Bullring, you know, to um, uh, you know, to to be able to to be more competitive at Madeira, which is where you're ready for the championships at. Uh, Vegas and Kern, the the speed difference is really different. I mean, it's a three eighths mile and a half mile at uh, Vegas and. And Kern, where it's only one third mile at uh, at Madeira, so the speed is different. So you know it's not as you know it's not as hard to try to you know actually keep the speed up at at Vegas and Kern. You're you're barely on the brake pedal, and you're mostly on the gas. Where Madeira, you gotta be on the brake a little bit more, and it's just you know not as fast. So it's kind of easier to um, 
how to say, but it's like it's easier to feel the race car and make sure you hit your lap perfect every time where Vegas and Kern, if you mess up, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to regain from that. So once you made the transition from from the um from the junior, you know, back into the prolates, was there any other was there any other help, you know, outside help that you got, you know, maybe crew chief, maybe driver coaches, you know, that came in, you know, to help you, you know, to kinda, you know, uh how'd you say it, to to kinda put you to where you're at today to be able to make that that start this past weekend at current. Oh, this weekend um, wouldn't have been possible without my entire crew back home. Um, my dad, Uncle John, Brian Taylor, and definitely um, uh, Chuck Wall. They, if they didn't get that car done, we wouldn't have been able to make Kern. But uh, lately this year in the Pro Late models, it's been Derek Thorne that's been coming on board and kind of driver coaching me and being my crew chief in the Pro Late models at Madeira. Um, but Kern this weekend, uh, we were driver development driver for uh Derek Thorne and Mike Keene and stuff like that and but you know this weekend wouldn't have been possible without Chuck Wall and my whole team back on back at home. So so what's it like working with a driver like Derek, you know, with all the success he's had, you know, throughout the years, you know, with the championships, you know, in both um SRL, you know, um I, I still call it the old K N. I don't know what calls it an Arca series, but I call it K N because when he won it it was a K N series. You know, plus you know the you know snowflake winner, you know, and all the other races, you know, these picked up wins in between all that. No, yeah, it's definitely good because I mean he's older and uh, kind of this past year I've kind of looked up to him, and I can definitely like this weekend at Kern I went over and you know asked for advice because you know he's just one of the top drivers anywhere he goes, and uh, it's very easy to go to Derek and get advice and get what you're really asking for and uh, can go back out on the racetrack and actually gain time from actually his advice where you can ask different people and you don't really pick up much time for what they tell you. So, then here's here's a million-dollar question. Do you think Derek holds back a little bit, or do you think he gives you everything that he knows? <laughs> um. You know that would be a question for you to ask him, but I, I think as a driver, <laughs> oh, I, I think as a driver, he's yeah. giving me everything. Yeah, he has. He's he's a really he's a really good guy, and I, and I've seen the way he you know he interacts, you know with the with especially with the younger drivers. You know, I know he wants to see everybody. Um, he wants to see everybody uh, um, compete. He wants everybody you know um, you know be successful, which is the which is the big thing. You know, and uh, you know having him on your having him having him on your side, you know, I, I'm sure that's that's been a big a confidence booster. No, yeah, I think that this year's definitely improved for us as a team. We started off slow, and uh, Derek Thorne, he came on board, and our, our team really shot off. So going into Kern, what what was it that made you decided to race uh, in the in the to race a super late and not bring your um, your your pro late model out and race that instead? Well, after the ten thousand dollar win race, uh, we sold our car to Robbie Keneally. Um, they bought our race car, so he's going to run that next year as a junior late model at Madeira. Um, but the 10000 definitely helped us out, so we bought ourselves a Fury. And uh, we wanted to try something different. You know, I wanted to try to move up in the ranks a little bit and run against better competition. And uh, I think the drivers in SRL are the best on the West Coast, so 
finishing fourth, I, I think we did really good as a, a small team. So when you when you go out for your first practice, you know, in the super late, you know, especially track the size of Kern, you know, the speeds that it carries, you know, and I'm sure you've, you've seen a lot of racing there in the past. You know, you see some pretty pretty crazy stuff. What was it like, you know, as a as a you know as a young up and coming driver, you know, to get out there, you know, and and you know when you started first making laps around the track. No, yeah, the speed it's it's very fast compared to what I've raced. Um, I mean, I ran ARCA at Kern, but supers are way faster down the straightaway because they're just a lighter race car, but uh, the speeds are different. You're definitely driving it in a ton. You wouldn't think you'd drive it in that fast going in the corner, but you definitely have to drive it in really far to in order to have a good time. You know, so then, you know, your, you know, Friday night practice comes around, you know, you're all finished, and then, you know, Saturday you get up, you know, and you got the one practice, you got to qualify, um, you know, like you said, you know, you're running against some of the best drivers out there on the West Coast. Um, how much pressure was on you when you got in the car, you know, to go out there and qualify, you know, to – because I know you – qualified, you always want to turn your best. That's that's where you want to turn your best. You know, to, you know, you don't want to start in the back, you know. You know, you always want to be in the top eight, you know, to at least have a chance, you know, to get that um, – to get that, uh, you know, the, the invert. No, yeah, I mean, um, I wasn't nervous much. The only thing I, I could have been nervous about was our car was fighting tightness all weekend, and we couldn't figure it out. Our travels just weren't weren't right on our side this, this past weekend, and uh, we finally got it fixed for qualifying, and it cut really, really good in qualifying, and it was I wasn't expecting it to happen. So I didn't get on the gas as much as I really should have, and, uh, you know, I think that's – I lost a couple tenths just in that in qualifying, but – I still qualified 15th, and it was a very tight field. So, so when it comes to working on the car, how much, how much time do you? Because I, I, I know Derek spends a lot of time working on his own car. He knows his car inside and out. He knows every bolt. He knows every screw. He knows every washer that's on that car. How much time do you spend, you know, on the, you know, you know, away from the track, you know, you know, um, working on your own car? Because I, I, I know you guys are. You're you're a single car team, you know, and 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 it sounds like your like your family is. I, I see your dad at all the races, so I figure you know he's he, you know he's part of the, you know he's part of the you know part of the process too. No, yeah, I mean back at home we just you know have my uncle and my dad uh, Chuck Wall and uh, one of my crew guys Ryan Taylor. It's just us back at the shop, and uh, they spent countless hours uh, trying to put a motor in. Uh, just, you know, couldn't find the right spot with the Fury. It's very tight to get out. We had a Ford McGonagall, so it's pretty hard to get the motor in perfect. So it spent uh, hours trying to get that in. And, uh, you know, the car was pretty much set up already um, by Derek Thorne. And um, we just, you know, we had to get the motor in and driver, you know, like me comfortable. And this past weekend, we didn't really do much um Besides trying to get our travels right, that's what we were fighting most of the weekend. But, you know, the setup was good. Just besides the travels, it wasn't traveling right in the front end, causing us to be tight. But back to the prolate models this year, um, we actually left the car back in California at the Keneally's house um, and just showed up the racetrack and cleaned the car and uh, just went on the racetrack. The car was a bullet all year, and uh, I think we made very few changes all year in the prolate model. So how much different was it racing racing a super late on that on Kern 
you know, as, as compared, you know, to running, you know, pro late, you know, at, um, well, you know, you said, you know, that you had, that you had ran the pro late at Colonel Race. How much different, how much difference was it, you know, running against, you know, guys like Derek, you know, Preston Peltier and, and Jacob and them? Um, very, I feel the prolate models in my eyes is more loose of a race car at Kern. Uh, also the speed difference and pretty much everything like that. And it's also very tight field in SRL and the supers compared to the prolate models in my eyes too. Um, I think it's very, very hard to, you know, even finish in the top five in SRL. Everybody's, you know, really, really close, but all those people in front of me were actually blowing tires, I think. And uh, that was able for me to drive by them because we were saving our car that second 75, but we also lost um, a cylinder. So we were only running on seven cylinders, but it was really easy to control that. I was able to be full throttle in the center when everybody was, you know, having to throttle their car off the corner. You know, and actually it was a huge, it was a huge testament, you know, you know, to your talent, you know, to, you know, the time that you put into your racing you know, to be the you know the the top finishing um to be the top finishing rookie out there because usually it was always Buddy Shepard you know in the top three you know and also um who else was out there as a rookie I was I think it was just Buddy oh and Cole I forgot Cole Raz and Cole Raz too you know but to finish you know you know in the you know in the, in the top four position you know just right below um Dan Holtz and you know Jeremy and Derek had to be had to you know had to have have a feel of uh I feel of a huge accomplishment. No, yeah, I mean, uh, we qualified 15th, right? In the heat race, we finished third. So we started 12th in the main event. And uh, by the first half, I think we were still in 12th. Um, We made it up to the top 10, and then I had a bad restart on the last restart. But um, but when we went green for the second half, I just, I keyed the radio, and I felt like I just had no power down the straightaway. But then after the race, we found out that we were only on seven cylinders. So, um, it was definitely hard to try to keep up with them, but on the long run, we were right there at the end because our car just wasn't as fast as everybody else's, so we weren't pushing our car that hard. But who knows if we actually had eight cylinders and we had our full motor? Who who knows if we could have probably had something for Derek and them? So looking forward into the 2022 season, um, do you have any plans set, or are you, are you still up in the air? You know about what you know what you're gonna if you're gonna stay at the, you know, you know what's what series you're gonna run, or you know what's gonna happen with Kyle Keller. Uh, like I heard you guys talking earlier before I, I came on the show. Um, you know, COVID kind of hit all the drivers with sponsorship money and everything like that. But our ultimate goal is to run ARCA full time for a rookie and a championship in the West. Um, but if that's not possible, we want to, you know, try to travel in the super late model, like go try to hit the slinger uh, slinger track and, and tracks back east. I want to travel all over the place next year, not just stay on the West Coast. Hmm. Okay. Um, Kyle, is there any shout-outs you want to give to, you know, to your team members, to any sponsors you have? Yeah, I'd like to thank uh, all my sponsors that helped me this year, Battleborn Racing, Heroes Environmental, Farmers Insurance, All-Star Towing, CSM Graphics, the Bohannon Family Trust, my manager, Steve Bohannon, uh, Mojave Construction, KKR, Derek Dorn Racing, Competition Carburetors, Aqua Perfect, Swift Springs, Cornwell Mike, Keller Motorsports, and Bill and Alexia Conger.
Awesome. And you know, Kyle, um, uh, good luck. You know, if you have any more races coming up, you know, before the end of the season, I know, I know we still have the, the Vegas race that's coming up on, uh, November 2nd. And, uh, and if you happen to get in there, you know, good luck on that. And, uh, I guess, um, have a, have a nice off season and hopefully, you know, we get you back on the, you know, on the show, you know, when the new season starts. Yeah. Thank you for having me tonight. Okay. Thanks. And, uh, uh, good night. Good night. Okay. That was a, a great interview, Sal. And, uh, it was good to get to know, uh, uh, this young man a little bit better. Kyle Keller a two-time champion at Madera Speedway. Yes, actually three-time champion. Three-time champion, okay. Yeah, he was was a junior late model champion too, so. Um, But, you know, it's just a testament, you know, of of how these these young drivers, you know, how they they progress, you know, and, I mean, to come out and, and finish fourth at Curd in the SRL race, doesn't matter how you got there. You got there. You got the fourth place. You finished in front of 20 other cars. That's all that matters. You know what? And and he went out there. He worked hard, um, drove hard, and um, I'll tell you, it was it was impressive. Well, it sounds like it. Okay, yeah. we're going to go ahead now and move on to a few updates that we want to do before we uh, close out the show, and. Uh, that is, uh, the trucks did not race. In fact, they've been off for a few weeks. It seems like forever at this point. Their last race was at Talladega Super Speedway in the first part of the month. Uh, but next week, they will be back on the track for the elimination race at Martinsville Speedway, the United Rentals 200, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday, October the 30th. Uh, expect the green flag at sometime around 1.15, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, exciting race coming up here for that uh, truck series. Yes, it is. It's going to be uh, – once again, we're looking at, you know, you know, at some must-win situations from a few drivers, but a lot of surprises shared from some of the drivers that – we figured, you know, would be, you know, kind of, you know, up a little bit higher in the running, know, in the standings, mm-hmm. but in the running, yeah, and, and just having, you know, man, just having, you know, you know, problems, you know, during this during this year's chase. Yes, indeed, but we do have two rookies uh, that are in the top eight. Uh, they're in the bottom four right now, but you never know; one of them could pull off a win at a short track like Martinsville. Exactly. You know what? You never know what's going to happen in Martinsville. But then you have a couple of, you have a you have a veteran, you know, that's right there. You know, possibly could get put out. You know, that's also going to be looking. You know, to grab that win. You know, he's going to be looking more for the win. That's sure, he's going to be points racing. But I think Matt Crafton is really going to be. He he wants to make a statement. You know, and he's really going to go out there and he he wants to he wants to be in that top four when he gets to Phoenix the following week. Absolutely. Now, the four drivers above the cut line, John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, uh, just one point apart in first and second. Then it's Matt Crafton and Sheldon Creed. Uh, They're just five points apart. And below the cut line, we have Stuart Friesen, uh, Chandler Smith, 
and Carson Hosevar, the two uh, rookies, and then Zane Smith in the eighth spot. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting, an interesting race because any one of them could win at Martinsville and uh, put themselves right into that top four. Uh, what are your predictions here for the truck series? You know, I it, it's tough, but I I think John Hunter Dimacek might might end up grabbing the win. <clears throat> Matt Crafton might end up to be another possible um, scenario like uh, Daniel Hamrick, you know, not having a win, making the chase, and possibly, you know, being the, being the champion, you know, coming out of Phoenix. And it'll still be a race win. I mean, if he wins a race, you know, of course, when he'll finish his higher, he finishes second, you know, non, a non-chase driver. But um, <clears throat> I think I think Matt, Matt and I think I think Matt's going to be. Yeah, he, he has to be one. He has to be one of the favorites out there. And and Sheldon just Sheldon just hasn't had the season that he had last year. He's just man. He just yeah. He's, not, he's in the wrong. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Stuart Friesen is right there, five points behind, getting ready to you know to put the finishing oh. punch on Sheldon <laughs> Creed and knock him out. You know and grab that fourth spot. And Sheldon yep. ain't gonna be. He's not gonna go down without a fight. So it, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a close one right there between Sheldon and Stuart Friesen for that. Yes, for indeed. that last. Um, and and actually for Matt for Matt Crafton too. You know he, you know he yep. wants that. Um, you know he wants to win. He wants to make the championship. He wants another championship. I mean he's not getting any younger. And and who knows how many more years we're gonna see Matt Crafton unless he pulls a, a Rod Hornaday. Junior in races, you know, or Michael Waltrip in race until they're, you know, until they're grandparents. Yep. Okay. In the Arkham Menard series, we have uh, three championships down and one more left to go. Uh, Sammy Smith winning the East Championship, uh, Ty Gibbs <clears throat> winning the Sioux Chief Showdown, as well as the Arkham Menard Series Championship. And now the season finale coming up, the Arizona Lottery 100 on November the 6th. Noon Mountain Time, that would be 3 o'clock Eastern Time at Phoenix Raceway uh, coming up. So that will be part of our Phoenix preview next week as uh, we wind down the season. That's the, that's going to be the final race of the season. Yes, it is. And I'll tell you, we there's a lot of talk at the track this weekend on who's going to pull it off. You know, is it going to – I mean, Joey – well, Joey East is right there. Paul Petroselli is one point down. Jake Drew is three. Joey East is five. And Colmore is six. But Trevor Huddleston, if he can finish above those those five guys, Trevor has an outside okay. shot at grabbing this championship yeah. because they're going to have, I think we're going to have about 30 cars. Mm-hmm. So if, 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 if Trevor can grab a win, and hope that these other guys, you know, finish below them, you know, way below them, you know, like, you know, having issues, Trevor could be a, an outside shot at the championship. But really what it yep. boils down to, it boils down to Cole Moore, Joe East, Jay Drew, and Paul Petroselli, and Jesse Love. You know, yeah. they're all single this digits, you know, as far as, <clears throat> yeah, as far as, um, as far as points, you know, they're, they're single digits away. But um, it's, it's going to be a good one. Uh it is. Any prediction? You know, you know, I I was 
Paul Petroselli kind of snuck in there. He was real quiet through the season and managed to, you know, he, well, he, of course, you know, he got the win at All-American Speedway. But he's been real quiet. Jesse Love just, I just don't see any momentum from him, you know, to be able to wrap this, this one up. Um, Jake Drew has been good. You know, he's been consistent. He's, he's put himself in a position, you know, to, um, you know, to win a championship. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and Joey East, he's tough. He's good. But um, I don't know. I, I just see something out of Jake that I have a feeling Jake's going to – I have a feeling this is going to be the race where he's going to put it all together, you know, and he's going he's gonna to finish up on top. And Jake is a really super clean driver. Jake is not the type of driver, you know, that'll, that'll put a bumper to somebody, you know, to win a race or win a championship. I've talked about oh, okay. it a couple times, you know, about it. You know, and I said, Jake, <clears throat> when you get to Phoenix, if you're there, and you have a chance to put a bumper in a Jesse Love or whoever it may be, you know, for it. He goes, he goes, unless they race me dirty, he goes, I'll race them dirty. He goes, he goes, I, I yeah. can't take a championship like that. He goes, I have to be clean, you know, so. Um, Good deal. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting, you know, because I'm curious on, on what the um, entry list is going to consist of. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Are I you going out to Mike, No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I'm still recovering. I, I need to be hundred percent when the snowball derby comes around in December. Okay. I got six weeks and, and I'm not going to go throw it away on spending, you know, four days over in three days over in Phoenix. I'd rather just, okay. you know, scale, get ready and be ready for snowball derby. Okay. Well, we're at the top of the hour, Seth, and so it's time to bid our adieus, but thank you so much for being here tonight. As usual, it was uh, fun. We had two guests, just like uh, our usual routine here, and uh, really had a good time. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. You guys have a, have a good, safe weekend. And uh, make sure you get a lot of candy. This is uh, Halloween Halloween weekend, so um, <laughs> be safe out there and, um, um, you know, wear your costumes, scare the kids before you give them the candy, you know, do all that good stuff like that. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next Monday. <laughs> All right, oh, good night. Okay. Take, good night, Sal. Take care. Okay. Uh, all right. It is uh, one minute past the top of the hour, and so we are definitely ready for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us for tonight's show is, we'll start off with Michael Lozell. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, it's been about two weeks, but it's good to say hey to everybody. <laughs> yes, indeed. Also joining us is Tommy Kraft. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, always uh, so happy that you're available uh, when uh, I know the guys have uh, really unusual schedules, uh, so we're never quite sure where, where we're going to need you, but you're always uh, available to help us out. We appreciate that. I know Jay is uh, coming up along uh, he said he's going to be here, but he might be a few minutes late. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. Mike, I'm going to have you kick us off with the first hot topic, and then, Tommy, you can respond. Well, hopefully Jay is going to get here in time to get in on this, because I'm interested to hear his opinion. Um, but as, as pretty much everybody knows, Formula One had their big race weekend this past weekend in Austin, Texas, at Coda. Um, the official TV ratings aren't in, but the attendance numbers, it sounds like they brought in somewhere around 400,000 
people to Coda in attendance at the racetrack over the course of their race weekend. Um, and there were several articles, uh, NASCAR and NBC and Jenna Fryer both put out articles uh, kind of highlighting about how, to put it bluntly, NASCAR got their butts kicked this weekend and what NASCAR can do to get the momentum and enthusiasm back to get the attendance back up at the races as well as the TV broadcast ratings to go up as well. So I'm interested to hear what people's take is on that with, uh, with regards to just this weekend in particular and what the way forward might look like. Okay, tell me your thoughts. I did not see the F1 race at all at Circuit of Americas, but I do know from what I saw on Twitter that it was uh, buzzing. Um, I actually saw where somebody that I went to college with um, went to the Cutter race, so I thought that was pretty cool. But, yeah, there was a lot of people there, a lot of celebrities. I saw Shaq and Megan Thee Stallion were there. Um, Yeah, it, it... it looked crazy. It looked packed. It looked packed. And compared to how Kansas Speedway looked and how Texas looked last week, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Um, but to make it a little bit more exciting, though, we now know the potential of CODA, and um, maybe NASCAR can look into, I don't know, whatever F1's doing uh, with that road course. Because, well, the rain happened this year at that track, and that was a, a big factor in, in that race. But I would still like NASCAR to go back to that track. And Austin is a hot spot right now in America. So it just makes sense to to go to that track. But, yeah, the F1 race was absolutely crazy. And I saw where the Netflix docu-series had something to do with the interest in F1 now in America and um, of course NASCAR did the thing with uh, Kevin James but um, not that he's not funny but maybe they should do well I know they were going to do that playoff thing this year but I don't know didn't they decide to not do it for some reason or are they still doing it but they're just going to release it at a different time either way NASCAR should look into doing some with Netflix. Whatever it is to gather interest, like these other races are doing, uh, like F1. But, um, yeah, NASCAR needs to figure out something. Calls Kansas and Texas versus what just happened at Cota this weekend for uh, F1, was uh, it was pretty bad. It was pretty, pretty obvious, too. Okay. Uh, let me see if Jay is here real quick. Jay is not here yet, so I guess I'll kind of chime in here. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, NASCAR did try that, uh, The Crew, I think it was, that was on Netflix. It was a sitcom. Uh, I don't know what the ratings were on that. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's – and I know that they're working on some things, uh, but it's, it's it needs to come out sooner rather than later. Uh, so I, I would like to see NASCAR do a different kind of promotion uh, to build drama uh, versus what they've been doing, and I think they would get better results. Uh, a lot of people, uh, I mean, that place was packed for the F1 race, and the F1 has not been uh, a sport that NASCAR's had to worry about in the past, so 
for them to do that well at CODA this year uh, speaks a lot. However, I will say this. What NASCAR had going against them, because I was in Texas, and I would have gone to the CODA race had it not been for the rain. So the rain really put a damper on what NASCAR could do at CODA this, when they were there in May. Um, but the, they were up against uh, uh, one of the round of eight races, the middle race of the round of eight uh, at Kansas Speedway, and it just did not live up to the same kind of hype uh, that uh, the F1 was getting at uh, CODA. So, yeah, there's more that NASCAR needs to do. uh, And what exactly that is, I don't know. But they certainly need to take a look at it uh, long and hard. And, Jay, I know you're here now. Uh, We're talking about uh, uh, something that was posted on the uh, team board uh, about NASCAR playing a glum, frustrated second fiddle to from this past weekend. So, uh, and what some of the takeaways might be uh, by, well, we'll get to that later, I guess. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, and and I read through the couple articles that got posted. Uh, I see two sides of it. I definitely, and I caught the tail end of your sharing there, I do think there are some things that NASCAR can do and needs to do to improve, as well as the track. I, I believe it mentioned of, making it going back to making it an event, uh, not a race. Uh, I think there's some truth to that. I know that NASCAR has been very prominent with the COVID protocol and all for sponsors and stuff like that, but that is what makes it an event, a three-day weekend event and not just a race. To compare the numbers directly, though, and you kind of alluded to it there, Sharon, just take this weekend. The weather forecast at Kansas was not the best. As it turned out, they did have the you know a little bit of a rain delay, and then the wind stayed with it. So they had that going against us. Weather's a little bit better in Texas. Second, you got Formula One returning after what it was a two-year hiatus. So yeah, there mm-hmm. was a lot more hype with it. Uh, you know, it's been missed again if you haven't been able to see it for two years. So you can't really compare directly. But you can take away from it some of the things that, that I mentioned of maybe NASCAR does need to take a hard look at going back to I understand they're trying to save teams money and all, uh, combining or slimming down the practice, qualifying, and how long the teams are at the track, but also go back to making it an event to attend, not just a race. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, this could – this can go a couple different ways. And the bad way for this to go is for NASCAR to look at it and start trying to come up with justifications or reasons why or excuses. And that's a way, that's the easy way to do it. And that's a, that's a, the way to explain it away without acknowledging that there's serious issues with the product that must be addressed in order to fix it and improve the trajectory of the sport. Yes, Jay's right. There's been COVID protocols, and, and, and it's really restricted the race weekends. But let's not pretend for a second that attendance was not a problem before COVID. While we were talking for the past five to eight years, attendance has been down 50% or more at a lot of these bigger tracks. And 
That was well before COVID protocols, well before they went down to a one-day show. So it's not just that that it's been hurting NASCAR race attendance. Um, to paraphrase some of the drivers, I'm not looking at the uh, the article, so I, uh, forgive me if the, the direct quotes aren't quite exactly right, but to paraphrase some of the drivers, uh, Kyle Busch brought up the fact of the novelty piece. Uh, NASCAR has 38 shows per year between the all-star race, the regularly scheduled races, the clash, et cetera. So 38 shows per year versus Formula One's one, and Formula One's going to have two next year. They're going to go back to Coda as well as Miami. So there is a bit of a novelty factor versus NASCAR, which is more of a routine every single weekend piece. But compare that against the comments from Danny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski, who pointed the finger more at the track promoters, and I kind of agree with them having recently been to Talladega a couple weeks ago. It used to be a much bigger event to go to the track, and and it was starting to fade before COVID, and I think COVID was more of an excuse than anything else to pull the rest of the plug out. It was Yes, obviously they restricted it a lot because of COVID. But like I said, I think they used that as an excuse to do the things they wanted to do anyway, namely not putting the money into the big promotions and the concerts and all the things that the other non-racing-related events that brought people to the track that turned it into an event. Um, Brad Keselowski cited that the track promoters want somewhere between twenty and forty thousand dollars for a driver to bring a merchandise trailer to the track for the weekend. Well, that would have been a great opportunity for Brad Keselowski to go out there and sign autographs at his merch trailer, but he doesn't want to pay the track twenty to forty grand just to park his trailer out there. Um, so. There's obstacles that are preventing things from happening. We've talked about it before, about the cost going out there. You're looking at $150 per person per day to get into these racetracks, and that's not counting the gas to drive where the hotels to stay there overnight, the overpriced food at the racetrack. All those things combine together to push people away from the races, and each single one of those need to be looked at and addressed and, and figure out why um, or what can be done to improve on that end. The other piece there that I want to address, I did watch the Formula One race. I had it up on my iPad while I had the NASCAR race up on the television, and it was jarring, absolutely jaw on the floor, jarring how much superior the Formula One broadcast product was to NASCAR. It wasn't even close. It's barely comparable. Um, Formula One doesn't have commercial interruptions. I understand that there's sponsorship issues and whatnot, but the pendulum has swung far too much in the one direction where NASCAR races seem to be commercial breaks occasionally interrupted with brief glimpses of racing. And during those brief glimpses of racing is almost continuous promotion for some sort of product, sponsor, or brought-to-you-by type promotion there. Uh, The other piece of the Formula One broadcast that was vastly superior was the graphical presentation. Um, much more relevant, much more timely. They felt like they didn't clutter up the screen while uh, providing a lot of information. And the broadcasters themselves were much more coherent. They didn't bring up extraneous conversation, things that were irrelevant to the race, trying to play up drama that doesn't really exist. None of that happened in the Formula One broadcast. So one of the articles cited how NASCAR's focused on the broadcast end at the expense of the racetrack. Well, if that's been their focus, it's been misplaced because Formula One's beating them on the broadcast end, too. Something has got to give, and they've got to look at it from the perspective of it's something that needs to be improved on, not just explained away by circumstance. Okay, Tommy. Yeah, I kind of saw where um, 
Kenny Wallace is going to be at Gateway uh, doing the pre-race this next uh, or for 2022 for NASCAR. And, um, you know, fans were like, hey, why don't you go back to NASCAR or go back to TV? It'd be great to have you. And he was like, I don't want to do it. And he was like, but I agree with y'all. He was like, we need more shows. He said, uh, FS1 does a great job, or F1 or FS1 does a great job right now with the one show they have for NASCAR, but that they need to do something different, maybe have a little more. And, I mean, um, I agree with the booth comment, too. Uh, the SRX this year with Alan Beswick was amazing. I wish NASCAR would consider bringing him back. Um Nothing against Rick Allen, Dale Jr., and uh, Jeff Burton and Steve Letarte in the booth. But out of all those I just named, the one for sure that does not need to go anywhere, in my opinion, is Dale Jr. And um, for – I mean, we already know Jeff Gordon's leaving. I think Clint Boyer did a great job. Um, Definitely need to bring him back. He definitely needs to be somewhere. So those are the only two locks I think NASCAR really has in the booth because Mike Joy's getting older. I don't know when he'll retire or if that's even close or anything. It'll be sad when that happens because he's been doing it for so long. But Oh, and Larry McReynolds, he's got to stay too. He has to. Those are the three locks, I guess I would say, for NASCAR in the booth. And then I was also going to say for the F1-2, the one thing is, they don't really come to America a lot, so it is kind of a big deal when they come, and that was a, a big reason for the, the attendance. And I feel like Nashville, when they did the street course, um, that was really hyped up too. But that was kind of disappointing, I feel like, if I remember, or maybe it wasn't. I don't really – I don't get into F1 and IndyCar, watching cars go in circles, stock cars, I guess. But, um, yeah, I could just see on Twitter where F1 was uh, killing it. Like, I, I have a, a friend that I went to college with that's not in, not even into motorsports remotely at all, and he even watched the F1 race. And he, like I said, he is not into it. So I don't know how he caught a whiff of it because I didn't even tell him anything about it or anything. So he just posted about it, and I was like, wow, that's interesting. So, um yeah, NASCAR does have some things they need to work on. And another thing that I think it has to do with is tracks. And good thing that they added Coda this year. I hope they go back next year. I think they are. Because um, F1 goes there, and it seems to be a good race. And now they want to do a street course like how F1 does. I also think that's a good idea. I don't know how far off it is, but I do like the idea of that. So, Maybe NASCAR will take the right steps, but they do have to work on the booth area, the track, promotion, everything that we've mentioned. Okay, Jay? Well, I think we all agree that there are some, some areas that NASCAR certainly can look at, look at improving. I don't know that I'd be hitting the panic button as of yet with that. Uh, they have taken great strides in different directions. Look at the markets they're trying to go into, uh, whether it be Nashville, now the Northwest, and provide that. Uh, I don't know, you know, and I think Mike had it right. Kyle Bush was saying it was more from the side of uh, the rarity, that if you got that many schedules that they have on, it becomes all catch the next one uh, wherever it be. I think those are the fans, though, that, 
they could waffle at any point on any given thing. They're not going to be there week in and week out. <laughs> so I, I don't know that I agree with that aspect to it as much. But Denny Hamlin hit on it. I do think that it is about the promotion and making it an event, whether it be from the track side, NASCAR side. And Mike hit it on it. I think it's one of those things when NASCAR went away from having the title sponsor and a little bit more money versus the um, brought to you by Pardon. sponsors that they have, that, that package, that, that business model. I mean, I understand maybe what they were asking for was a little much on the overall title sponsor, but I think that is what makes the difference, uh, that uh, a huge part of it anyway, because I know how much Sprint definitely put into it when they were the title sponsor, as well as Monster, and Monster obviously does a lot of that type of, whether it be Monster Jam with the Monster Trucks, Motocross, um, I think NASCAR maybe asked for a little much, but that's, you know, they got bills to pay too. So I, I can't say that they were asking for more than what they needed. Yeah, I, I think we're walking down a slippery slope here. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what's being said. I think NASCAR does need to address some things. Uh, so I'm not saying that there's not an issue here, uh, but I think we have to be careful. Uh, because us bad-mouthing the sport that we love <laughs> is not going to help it either. Um, yes, we need to call attention to what needs uh, our attention and everything, but um, to take that hard line and, and to say NASCAR's got to do this and NASCAR's got to do that, I think we've got to be really careful with that because – uh, NASCAR does need to take a look at some things, uh, and I think that we're all in agreement with that. That's not the point that I'm trying to make here. But the more we badmouth our sport, the less people are going to be interested in it. Uh, so I, I do think that um, there are some good things that NASCAR has done. Uh, they were the first to come back when COVID came out. Uh, and I think that uh, they were the role model for other sports uh, last year when this thing hit. Uh, I do think that, you know, uh, you guys brought it up. I think it's more track promotion, and a, an article that went along with this was that NASCAR is going to hold tracks more accountable for what they're doing uh, as far as promoting and getting attendance at the track. And the cost uh, is one of those things. Uh, and I've been bringing up that point for a long, long time, going back to the Bristol repave. Um, uh, the cost of going to the track is just uh, incredibly high. And um, uh, I know they've done some things to, for kids to come free. Kids under 12 can get in for free. Uh, and I think that's all good and well. But, you know, what you were talking about for the haulers and all of that, some of that is a little out out um, out uh, pacing itself, and it it's hurting the sport more than it's helping the sport putting those kind of pricing uh, points out there. So yeah, they need to look at it, uh, but there's a lot to like about NASCAR as well, and and I, I don't want this to come across as uh, we're all negative on NASCAR because we're obviously all fans. 
uh, and and I'm not chastising anybody here. I'm just saying that that you know it's a slippery slope when we start going down this path uh, of saying F1 is doing it all right and we're not doing anything right. Um, F1 and and Jay, you brought it up. They haven't been here for two years, <laughs> so. That is one of the reasons why they had such a big attendance. It, 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 you're not going to not have an NASCAR race for two years. So you cannot compete with that. That's, num- that's one of the things that we have to put in perspective here. Um, it, it, it's, it's almost like comparing apples to oranges, if you will. I'm in agreement that there's things that we need to look at, but I don't think it's as dire and as uh, you know, a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, yeah, we need to look at some things, but I'm not thinking that it's as dire as as uh, uh, as the article maybe puts it. So let's uh, let's kind of keep it in perspective here, because there's a lot of things that NASCAR is doing right as well, and I think uh, changing up the schedule the way they are. Is, is a really good thing that they're doing. And I think that, uh, uh, I think everybody needs to take a look at what they're doing to help promote the sport uh, and, and keep it into our future uh, versus uh, considering it as something that's going down the, the narrow path of oblivion. So, Mike, I'm curious to hear your final thoughts. You're right. There's a fine line between uh, being too negative on the sport, but at the same time, have to be, you have to be honest enough to be able to look at it from a constructive criticism standpoint. And yeah, there's absolutely. plenty of organizations well beyond the motorsport world that have talked themselves to the point of failure by everyone being in agreement, hey, we're doing the right thing, and all the things that everyone else is saying, well, the, everyone else is wrong. Well, that everyone else, sometimes they're the customers. And when the customers aren't happy with the product, eventually they stop purchasing the product, whether that is some sort of gadget at the store or race tickets or even watching the race on TV. So you're right. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't think it's time to completely panic yet. But at the same time, I think it's time for some introspection on, you know, what is the product that NASCAR is putting forth? Is there ways to improve it? And how do we accomplish those improvements without sacrificing the core of the sport that has attracted the fan base that we currently have? I think those are some questions that should be asked during the offseason and maybe come back with some sort of idea of what they want to do going forward. To yeah, You're right. Formula One is not a direct competitor to NASCAR, but at the same time, it's definitely a comparable product in terms of it's a motorsports product that is run on, in this case, the same racetrack that NASCAR runs on, and how NASCAR can either leverage the popularity of Formula One to help themselves or at least learn some of the things that Formula One has done to break into the U.S. market and use that to improve NASCAR's product to appeal to more fans. And I think that's what we need to look at going forward. Don't be so critical as to try and turn people off from the sport, but at the same time, be realistic to the point where you're willing to to accept criticism from the standpoint of making the sport we love better. Okay. Tommy, it's your turn to bring up the next topic. 
let's go with uh, Junior and Boyer and Stewart testing uh, the next-gen cars at Bowman Gray Stadium in uh, Winston-Salem. Okay, Jay? Well, this is, this is an interesting thing. Uh, obviously, they have it. I'm doing it as a test for the car. Uh, I don't know that you could pick anybody better uh, to do a test for the next-gen car. Some veterans with experience and a lot of input within the racing industry. You know, Tony Stewart, we just talked about that. He's, he's now into NHRA. So across the spectrum, um, I know Mike put it of it would be kind of interesting to do it uh, as a, as a actual race uh, from a broadcaster's point, uh, bringing in, let's see, who did you mention here, Mike? Uh, Jamie Mack, uh, Jeff Gordon, oh, and then Sharon moved it down to the bottom as I was reading it. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, Sorry. there we go. Uh, um, you know, that would be kind of interesting. I know we talked about this. It definitely helps from the perspective of, say, uh, Boyer and Junior going to be broadcasters next year, having them in a car that they are talking about a car that they hadn't been in. So I do think that that's something NASCAR looked at. So they're again maybe getting not as a full test, but uh, Larry McReynolds, uh, you know Jamie Mack, obviously be a good one. Uh, some of these others that do the broadcasting, at least getting in the car and experiencing it, even if it's a ride along with another one of the drivers so that they do have that direct uh, feel for it um, when they're talking about it. So I do like that idea, and I do kind of like the idea of making it, a, making it a race, if they can put that together of an exhibition race of some sort uh, prior to the season. Um, I think that would be kind of cool, and I think NASCAR could capitalize on that. Uh, the matter is okay. it's a matter of – I got to interrupt you, Jay. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm – I'm going to have to run out of time. Uh, okay, we're at that time of the night. We're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, but we will continue to have our conversation, but we'll record the rest of that conversation, and it will be available as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. We let you know at this point of the night, especially for those new listeners that are tuning in for the first time, so that you know how you can listen to the rest of that uh, information. And it I'll go out on Twitter uh, when we're finished here and let you know that the podcast is available. At that point, you can go to our player, either at Blog Talk Radio or here on VampRacing.com, and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So, again, we didn't want anybody caught off guard uh, and not know how to listen to the rest of this conversation. So, Jay, go ahead and finish what you were saying. Uh, the only the only thing I was going to say yet there was if you're d- going to do that, it's going to be during during the off season or early next year uh, prior to the season. Now we're talking about adding a race to an already long schedule, and we just talked about that of maybe that's a downfall. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what do you do? Okay, Mike. Sorry, fumbling for the mute button. All right. So, yeah, Jay already kind of laid out what's going on here, and I, I, I completely agree, mostly because I'm the guy who brought up the idea about doing the exhibition race. Um, the, I'm sure it's no coincidence that Dale Jr. and Clint Boyer were two of the people tagged to do it, because like Jay said, uh, having your current broadcast team 
at least have some sort of familiarity with driving those cars is very important. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Todd Bodine getting back in the truck, bringing relevance back to the Fox Sports 1 booth uh, in terms of the truck series coverage. Well, it's the same thing where Dale Jr. and Clint Boyer will have had experience behind the wheel of those cars. Now, as far as using it to uh, actually have an exhibition race, I don't know that this week, I think it's this weekend or next week that they're running this thing. Uh, I don't think it's the best time to put an exhibition race on together with that, but uh, maybe do it the same weekend as the clash out in the L.A. Coliseum. So if we're trying to break into that L.A. market, what better way to do it than to have the clash, but also have whatever name you want to put up, you know, the, the golden series of NASCAR or whatever with all the retired superstars, um, like Jeff Gordon, I'm sorry, Mr. Gordon, now that he's the vice president of operations for Hendrick Motorsports, he has to be Mr. Gordon now. Um, but Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, uh, if they can get Bill Elliott to come out there, I mean, he's been doing SRX. I'm sure Tony Stewart could probably talk him into coming out there and running the next-gen car for an exhibition race. Get half a dozen to ten of those guys out there on the racetrack so you can have the clash with the current guys, and then you can have – the senior clash or whatever you want to call it with the, with the all-star legend guys. And I think that'd be a great promotional weekend to really get some interest in the LA area and give fans the opportunity to see and interact with the current stars, as well as some of the biggest stars that the sport has in history. Uh, I think that'd be a great look. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think it's great to see these guys uh, testing the next-gen car. You guys mentioned the obvious reasons for Dale Jr. and Clint Boyer to be doing it, but I'm happy to see Tony Stewart on that list as well because Tony Stewart's been taking a lot of flack for not being involved with NASCAR recently, especially with his new announcement that he's entering now the NHRA. Um, And so for him to come back uh, and test this car – Uh, The next-gen car with NASCAR, I think, is a good thing. And as a team owner, I think it's just as important that he have an understanding of what this next-gen car is all about. So uh, I'm all for it. Um, And uh, I do think uh, you guys are hitting on a a great idea, whether or not NASCAR is tuning in to hear what the idea is or or whether or not they'll uh, play on, uh, play on that, I'm I'm not sure, but uh, uh, it's certainly a lot of fun to talk about, and we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe they will pick up on it and and do something about that. Um, so, Tommy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. All I could think about was how cool it was they picked Bowman Gray to do the uh, test. And then I was mm-hmm. immediately thinking, you know, it's going to be the L.A. Coliseum. And what, I mean, what not a better place than to test the next-gen cars at Bowman Gray? Because I'm sure the L.A. Coliseum is probably going to look similar to how Bowman Gray looks and stuff, but, you know, a lot a lot more grandstands. But uh, that's going to be cool if that's how that's going to go. Uh, that makes it a, a really exciting guy. Uh, Sad to see that the Bud Shootout won't be at Daytona, but um, I mean, it, at least they're going to where they played a Rose Bowl at, and they're doing that. And uh, of course, I agree with you guys. No uh, no brainer to pick Junior and Boyer to do it. So that way, they're familiar with the cars and the drivers and what they're experiencing. And then Tony Stewart, what a busy guy. Uh, Old Stuart Haas, <laughs> old Eldora, 
runs the SRX, drives in the SRX, NHRA now, drag racing, uh, and now he's going to test next gen car. What does he not do? He's really becoming basically full time everything motorsport. <laughs> um, <laughs> the NASCAR uh, handyman. <laughs> that's awesome, though. I'm glad. Uh, I mean, I'll never forget him in a 20 Home Depot car and then having his own team and now owning that team still. And hey, he's got Harvick as a driver. Uh, so, um, but them picking Bowman Gray is really cool. Uh, and I hope this also means that maybe they're considering doing the SRX or something there. I mean, there's just so many different um, things that can be connected from this. Like, is the LA Coliseum race going to be like a Bowman Gray race? Because why, why else would they test the next-gen cars there? Um, Boyer, Jr., and Stewart are great picks for the, the cars. And, um, yeah, I think it would be cool, too, if they did a throwback race with some of the older drivers. Uh, You've got to have Michael Waltrip and Bobby Labonte in there. <laughs> got to add them to the list in that uh, race before the clash. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? I think a couple of things, that, key things that got hit on there on, on how important Tony Stewart's involvement is. Uh, we mentioned from Dale Jr. and Clint Boyer, they're broadcasters and, and more uh, recent drivers, but Tony Stewart, uh, Sharon said it from the owner owner standpoint, and going back to a previous conversation, Mike said of somebody that's going to be blunt about it. Uh, you know, Tony mm-hmm. Stewart's pretty vocal, uh, if you don't know him. Uh, he says what's on his mind, and, yeah, he, he doesn't worry about hurting somebody's feelings. So if there is a problem or something that needs addressing, somebody like Tony Stewart's going to say it. Uh, so I think that comes into play. And then, uh, Sharon, I think you're the one that mentioned it, of the flack he has kind of gotten for his lack of involvement specifically at the track come race day with his four-car Cup Series team. So, And he's a name. I, I mean, obviously, and he's known across, across the entire country. Some people know him as a sprint car driver. Some know him as a track owner. Some know him as now the SRX Series. Uh, you know, and he's going to be known now as a drag race uh, owner. So the name itself brings something, but I think there are a lot of other aspects to it that that he is a very key element to this, I think. Uh, And if they were to do some type of exhibition, got to be careful with that. uh, I know Tony's obviously still very active in a lot of things. Uh, They've done the old-timers race before. It doesn't always go well. you got to be careful about how you go about that and do that. Uh, I think that was at Bristol a few years back where they ran into an issue with that. Um, but I think there are some things there that could be uh, could be done to to really hype it and make it a big deal. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Follow up? Sure. I mean, you're, you're exactly right about Tony Stewart getting a chance to get behind the car. Now, don't forget, Tony Stewart is a car owner. He's going to own four times what six or seven chassis per uh, per race team. So he's going to have access to drive one of those cars whenever he wants to. Uh, same thing for Mr. Gordon. I mean, HMS is literally less than a mile from Charlotte Motor Speedway. So if they want to, they can they can throw a car in a trailer and take it down the street and put it on the racetrack, and uh, and any anybody in the leadership position there can drive it. But at the same time. How many of those cars are you going to get out on the racetrack at once? It's good to have a 
uh, a broader spectrum of, uh, of driver and experience out there, too. So, yes, the ownership end of, of seeing the car is good, but at the same time, it's not like it's some kind of a unique opportunity either. Uh, in terms of putting the race together as a, uh, an actual exhibition competition, as much as I'd like to see it as a fan, I'm sure logistically it would be an issue. Uh, there's also kind of the, the issue of, do you want the first winner in the new Gen 7 car, the first guy to take the checkered flag in that car, to be a retired driver who hasn't been in a cup car in several years? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure how the optics on that look. Maybe good, maybe not so good. And, oh, by the way, Jay, I'm sure you picked up on it as well as I did. You know, I can tell Tommy is super young because he referred to the clash as the Bud shootout. And you and me, from back <laughs> in the day, we remember the clash the first time it was the clash. And I still have to catch myself referring to the Xfinity series as the Bush series. So you can always date a guy by the, by the entitlement sponsorship that slip into conversation every once in a while. Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add. I think that uh, I'm glad to see these guys are testing the car. I think uh, they're going to give some good feedback, and uh, I, I think it's all good. So we'll, we'll wait and see what NASCAR does. Tommy, do you have any final words? Yeah, I, I want to tell you guys I probably started watching. I mean, I was born in 95, so I don't really remember – those first couple of seasons, but I know by the die cast that I started collecting in like 96 or 97 or something. I mean, Johnny Benson was still in the Cheerios car. So, but <laughs> on TV, I would say Oh one was probably what I remember. Cause I remember Bobby Labonte flipping in that polar bear car, that 18 interstate batteries at Dega. I remember that wreck and junior winning. So that's, that's probably as early back as I can remember Earnhardt's crash in Oh one, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, it was called the Bud Shootout, but uh, it was also a night race, and I was really hoping that they would not do the road course and do a night Bud Shootout race or Bush Clash, whatever it's called. And uh, But I'll take the L.A. Coliseum, and um, I'd really like to see them do something at Bowman Gray since this is part of the topic. SRX, um, anything. Uh, really, uh, it looked like ARCA used to race there from what I was reading, and mm-hmm. a bunch of names get started there, like Chase Elliott and Cal Larson and Corey LaJoy have all raced there, and Matt DiBenedetto won there. So, yeah, I play, they need to do something there, um, or NASCAR should do something there, or SRX, or just anybody. But either way, um, great picks, calls. I'm going to love to hear Junior talk about it on his podcast or his download on YouTube. And um, Clint Boyer, he's hilarious. Can't wait. And then y'all are right. Tony Stewart, he's going to let NASCAR know. If this car is trash, he's going to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jay, you get to bring up the next top topic. As, as I said, I just want to know if if Tommy even knows what the Goodies Dash series is. <laughs> Oh, oh, man, we used to, uh, no kidding. We used to sponsor Mike Swain Jr. back in the day. That was, that was one of my first experiences as the racetrack is when we were, uh, we were sponsors for Mike Swain Jr. with the Pennzoil car in the Dash Series. Yeah, that used, to, that used to actually be the first race of Daytona Speed Weeks was the Goodies Dash Series. Um, 
Let's talk about the the Cup Series. Uh, following this past weekend, uh, Kyle Larson has locked into the final championship four twice, I guess, technically. Um, but the rest of it, Elliot, uh, let's see, what does it say here from Bob Pockris? Elliot will clinch with a 15th place finish uh, without any stage points. Hamlin with a 12th place finish or better. All other drivers depends on stage re- uh, results and what other drivers do. Even Joey Logano is technically not in a hardcore must-win. If he gets in on points, he only needs 27 points, and that's compared to, what, five drivers, over five drivers. So I don't see anybody out of it, uh, especially we know Joey Logano can win at Martinsville. So what kind of setup are we seeing here at Martinsville and, and into the championship four? Okay, Mike, you're up first. Well, we keep talking about Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin like they're a lock. Don't forget, Chase Elliott plus 34, Denny Hamlin plus 32. Ask Kevin Harvick what it means to come into Martinsville plus 42 because that's what he did last year and ended up watching the other four guys race for a championship last year in Phoenix. So, yes, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin are definitely in strong positions points-wise, but I wouldn't write their names in ink yet on my final four bracket. Um, with regard to that last points position for the guys who aren't named Elliott or, Legon, or, uh, or Hamlin, that's really a toss-up. And it, it almost feels like whoever's going to get it is going to get it by default because none of those guys have been running particularly well. Obviously well enough to make it into the final eight, but you look at the three Penske cars. All three Penske cars have been down on speed lately. Blaney has been, at best, hot and cold. He's got wins, but when he's not winning, he's running middle of the pack or further back. Uh, Brad Keselowski's probably been the most consistent out of the three Penske cars, but he really hasn't been a win threat very much this year. Every once in a while, he's got one win, and every once in a while, he threatens here and there, but the two car has not been its usual front-running self. The 22 car, again, one win out of the year, but not the biggest threat that they've ever been. So those three Penske cars are really tough to pick one way or the other, and then you look at the two Joe Gibbs cars, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex have both been week to be honest with you Kyle Busch is uh, he's probably been the hardest on himself than anybody has um, where the 18 car has been good enough to get where they're at but not great I would say if I had to pick any of those remaining five who aren't currently either locked in or a very strong points position I'd have to pick Martin Truex and that is solely because he tends to run very well at short tracks, and he won at Martinsville earlier this year. So I would say out of those five cars, if Martin Truex in the 19 doesn't win the race, I think he's going to be the one who does well enough to advance to the final four. So it's going to be Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, uh, Martin Truex, and Denny Hamlin in the final four at Phoenix, according to my picks. Okay. Tommy, your thoughts? Uh, Kyle Larson is probably going to get 10 wins in the championship. That's going to be my prediction. Uh, Hamlin and Chase Elliott are runners-up, unless if things go horribly wrong for both of them at Martinsville, which that could happen. The fourth spot, in my opinion, is wide open. Um, But I agree with you guys. Um, Truex and Logano, in my opinion, are probably going to be the ones contending for that fourth spot at Martinsville behind the other three that I just mentioned because 
I feel like it was not too long ago that they were battling it out for a win at Martinsville in the playoffs. And I feel like Elliott and Hamlin were doing that a few years ago, too. So, um, but I know that Brad Keselowski is not going to make it easy, and neither is Kyle Busch. So I can't, we can't count them out either. Or really Ron Blaney, but I don't, I think Ron Blaney's probably in the position to most to lose because I don't, I don't, has he, I don't know if he's wanted a short track yet or not in um, the cup level. I know he's got, uh, the Roval, Atlanta, and um, Talladega a couple times, but I don't think a short track's on his resume yet. So I, I would say he's probably going to be the odd man out for sure this week at Martinsville. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, I think everybody's chasing um, Kyle Larson. And um, Hamlin was good. That, I mean – Hamlin has been solid all year. He cut it on at the beginning of the playoffs. Um, we always keep on saying, you know, is this going to be his year? So I don't, let's not count him out because he's good at Martinsville too. And uh, we can't count Chase Elliott out. I mean, he's the fan favorite. And Martinsville's a good track. And Phoenix is for him too. So I'm sure if Kyle Larson is nervous by anybody, it's probably his teammate Chase Elliott at this current moment. Yeah, I think this is uh, a tough one to make a call because uh, it's, there's so many things that can happen at Martinsville to take drivers out of the competition. And you mentioned Kevin Harvick losing that 42-point cushion at Martinsville just last year. Uh, that could happen to any one of these drivers. Uh, the only driver who's safe going into the Final Four right now is Kyle Larson. And uh, I think he makes everybody else look like they're – They're just not quite up to par right now. Um, So you're right, Drex won it uh, at Martinsville, uh, the most recent winner at Martinsville. Uh, So that gives him a little bit of an edge, but he could be taken out as well uh, as Joey Logano, who's also good at at a track like Martinsville. I think it's too tough to predict it. I I just uh, don't know how you can really predict it. Uh, for for this Martinsville race because there's so much that can happen. And here's what I do know. Somebody, that one somebody, is going to be super, super happy, and the rest of everybody is going to be disappointed. Um, and some people are going to be angry. So we'll see what happens when Martinsville is said and done. I've I've read things that said that people are going to, uh, be afraid to do anything at Martinsville. They're going to want to take care of their cars so they can be there at the end. And I've heard others are so desperate right now they're willing to do just about anything uh, to get that win at Martinsville because uh, they're so far back. So um, I think it's a wait and let's wait and see what happens uh, type of situation. Uh, I, I just don't think you can predict exactly what's going to happen at Martinsville, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, because uh, drivers that uh, uh, might have done well at one point may not do so well this time around. So there's a lot of difference between uh, racing Martinsville in the spring and racing Martinsville in the fall. So uh, I, I'm, I'm a wait and let's wait and see what happens. How about you, Jay? No, you, you did predict it, and, you, and, you, and it's a guarantee, I think. 
obviously it's an elimination race. Four drivers are going to be disappointed, probably angry as well, uh, you know, for one reason or another. I'd, I'd have to actually, from here, to to try and even come to, to picking who's moving on, go from the bottom. Uh, Joey Logano has the biggest hill to overcome, but we know he can win uh, as well as then Truex. I think Blaney and Kyle Busch, they're right in the middle, but are the two that maybe that track isn't the best for them? But then you got to wait and see what happens. And I think back to Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. When they got to bumping and banging, it was Brad Keselowski that was there to capitalize. Martin Truex mm-hmm. and Joey Logano, we've seen them bump and bang and push and shove. Who comes out on top or does it go to the next one down the list? So that's where Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch kind of come in of can they get by it and be the one in position to capitalize. Uh, and that's not to, not to take anything away from Chase Elliott, who may be trying to, like you said, uh, play it a little safe and, and hope the cushion that he has holds up and shoot for that 15th place finish. But we know he's also very good at Martinsville. So I think it's going to be an extremely wild one. And other than Kyle Larson, we're not going to know who's in until that checkered flag flies because all three of those positions could change. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. So this is nothing against Ryan Blaney. I like the guy. He's a, he's a good dude, good racer, but I'm so happy he wrecked yesterday. And the reason I am is me and Andy were talking about this on the race chat is – it was shaping up like there was not going to be much of a bubble battle. Everyone was pretty well sorted on points. I think the, the gap was something like 29 points or so between fourth place and fifth place. And then Ryan Blaney crashed. And now we've got this gap. We've got three drivers, four drivers separated by less than 10 points. So before Blaney crashed out and you had such a huge points gap, pretty much everybody in that bottom four was in must win territory. And, what I think that would have led to would have been a bunch of dumb Hail Mary kind of moves that probably ended up just wrecking a bunch of race cars. I think what this is going to produce for this coming weekend is going to be a much more balanced race where guys have to really decide if they want to take a chance and risk tearing up their car, but know that they can't just sacrifice track position because they don't have track position to lose in terms of points positions. So you're going to see guys defending their position and trying to advance, but at the same time trying to take care of their cars, knowing that if they tear their car up, they may not be able to point their way in. If they can win the race, that's great, but they still need to be there at the end to either try and take a shot at winning or at least be points ahead of the other guy. So I think Ryan Blaney's misfortune yesterday really helped us out as the fans. I think it's going to produce a much more enjoyable race for us this coming Sunday. Not that Martinsville is going to suck. Martinsville is always one of the best races of the year, but I think it's going to be a real banger coming up on Sunday. Tommy. I love super speedways and short tracks, so I'm super excited for Martinsville. I can't wait. Um, think, I mean, especially since playoffs, and I think it's a night race now. Uh, it's it's going to be awesome, and I think um, it'll definitely be entertaining. Um, Kyle Larson's locked in. Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin should be as long as nothing happens to them, but that's the key if nothing happens to them. I have a feeling that it's going to be crazy, kind of like Bristol. Some feelings are going to get hurt, and we might see, you know, some 
always love a good helmet throw. So that's what I'm hoping for. Someone's going to get wrecked. Someone's going to get out, take that helmet, and chunk it. <laughs> um, uh, I can't I can't wait. And uh, I would definitely say that Ryan Blaney's uh, probably the one outside looking in. Maybe him and Kyle Bush and Brad Kay. I think Joey and Martin Truex fight for this final position if everything goes well for Chase and Denny. Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add. So, Jay, I'm going to give you the final word here. Well, I was kind of interested in it either way. Uh, if if Blaney, as Mike mentioned, Blaney hadn't wrecked, because then it was, you got four drivers, five drivers that it's winner take all, and every one of them is a winner and a good front runner at Martinsville. With this shakeup now, uh, I, I think it does change the dynamic of it because it is – try to get the win and lock in, but also you got the race within the race of who you're racing and where they're at. So it, it changes the dynamic. I'm not going to say one way or the other uh, from that aspect of, of which is better, but it definitely does change it. And we mentioned it of depending on say Chase Elliott or Denny Hamlin has an issue, how much that changes uh, where they got to race to and who they're racing we might see a, a really tough one-two position battle, and it may involve some non-playoff drivers uh, as they need, if they need one or two more points, uh, some drivers get a little more aggressive uh, mid-pack, you know, for that 14th, 15th, 16th spot if it comes down to it. So I think it's going to be a huge, huge race. Uh, that one should uh, be good on ratings uh, both at the track as well as on TV. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, I think uh, we're going to go ahead and close out our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off and start our roundtable here. So, Mike, let's start with you. It's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I should be available this coming Thursday, so I look forward to talking to you all then. Next week's not looking so good. looks like I'm going to have to be working. I'll get back to you on the week following. I'm really hoping I'm going to be, at the very least, be able to make that Monday show after the championship race in Phoenix. So I'll keep you posted on what the plan is there. Okay. Tommy. Uh, at since 95 fan or uh, Tommy C or Tommy underscore 20, Tommy C underscore 24 on Twitter. Um, I haven't tweeted anything in a couple of days now. Um, I did actually, Sharon, just type up my uh, fan at the track article yep. and I, I did email it over to you. So um, it hopefully uh, it. looks good. Hopefully it looks good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I did read through it, and it, it I enjoyed reading it. So uh sounds good so far. Okay, uh, if I can just get through the issues with the website, we'll be okay. <laughs> Jay. Uh, you can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And, and i got to say, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that article by Tommy, uh, not just uh, – at the fan at the track, but first time fan at the track, especially being Talladega, your favorite track. So I am really looking forward to that. Okay. And uh, I am fan for racing site on Twitter and fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fan for racing.com. And uh, I did not get uh, Sam's recap up uh, today because of issues that we had at the website. Uh, we're still working on some of those issues, so hopefully I'll be able to get that up 
if I if I can, it'll be late tomorrow or sometime on Wednesday uh, before I'm even going to get a chance to to do that. Uh, same with your articles, Tommy. It's going to be probably uh, mid to late week before I'm going to be able to get that up there. Uh, but watch for that because uh, it is a fun article to read as a first-time uh, visitor to the track. So uh, I, I know fans are going to enjoy Tommy's uh, feedback there. Also, um, uh, we'll look forward to uh, the races coming up this weekend, and Jay and I will be doing our Fan for Racing uh preview show on Thursday night starting at 7:30 and uh definitely looking forward to that as we preview Martinsville and then there's just one more race after that uh and then it's Phoenix uh Phoenix will close out the season so we're really winding down on the season here and that makes me a little bit sad but uh uh we do want to do a big shout out to those who are tuning in to listen to our broadcast, whether it's live or on the podcast. We do appreciate each and every one of you for taking time out of your day uh, to hear what we have to say. And then also to our Fan for Racing crew here tonight, Michael Orzel and Tommy Kraft and Jay Huseman. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, being available uh, tonight, as well as Sal Segala for the earlier part of our show. We had two guests on tonight, Nick Sanchez, who won the Arkham Menard Series season finale at Kansas Speedway was on. Uh, he gave us a great interview. And then we also talked to uh, Kyle Kelter, who is a three-time, I've got two-time champion up there, but Sal tells me he's a three-time late model uh, Madeira champion. And uh, Sal did a great interview with him as well. So if you haven't uh, listened to the earlier part of the show, I'd really encourage you to go back and hear uh, both of those interviews. Okay, so I think that's it for tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, uh, talking to everybody again on Thursday night. So uh, I guess that's a wrap, guys. Night, everybody. See you Thursday. Talk to you Thursday. (laughs) Okay. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.